Warning, 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 warning. The Iron Show is not recommended for listeners who like their Bible teaching quiet and inoffensive. Side effects of listening to The Iron Show include conviction, repentance, obsession with ancient texts, a desire to learn Hebrew, and loss of sleep for those on the East Coast, reverence, irreverence, being on the fringe, rearing fringes, rocking out, irritating your pastor with weird questions, loving sinners, hating sin, tipping better, sharing the gospel, philo-Semitism, a craving for matzah, the sudden desire to make a pilgrimage to Israel, believing in Yeshua the Messiah, being born again, receiving the Holy Spirit, and a changed life. Women who may be pregnant should not listen to The Iron Show unless they want their sons to have hair on their chests. If you experience sudden bleeding from the ears, turn down the volume and consult your doctor after you finish listening to the show. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. To uh, you have to deal with Quiet Johnny here. Quiet Johnny. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> Where is he? Oh, Byron, will you will you sing the La La song with me? La 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 I feel bad because I, I just finished today <laughs> listening to the Canary Cry radio interview you did, and it was like so yeah. nice and professional. And then you re- drag you onto the Iron Show. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little like being in the in, in, in the theater of war right here, isn't it? It's something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was cold, man. You hurt me with that, dude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. It. We'll back off the music and try to get real here. Byron Rogers is a... I don't really know how to introduce you, you know. Um, there's just like, like so many things that you can say about Byron Rogers. Um, number one, I mean, he's a Christian. Raised as a Christian. Good Christian boy. Um, grew up, uh, you know, uh, as a Christian and going to church and everything. Uh and when he was uh, a little older, he joined uh, joined the military, joined the Marines, and uh, found himself in uh, deployment in Iraq. And uh, I don't know how many, how many tours did you do there? How many sessions did you do? I did two different deployments to Iraq. Um, one combat, one float. So it's that's a total of about sixteen months overseas. Wow! I you know. <sighs> I listen. I spent like a couple hours to and from work today listening to your uh, Canary Cry uh, interview, and it was incredible. And I'm not going. I don't think we want to try to replicate that. I'm, uh, frankly, I think we ought to just put the link in the show notes. But so that people who are listening live can sh- sort of get the background, can you give us like the thumbnail sketch of Byron Rogers? <laughs> A man who, if his first name was Steve, I would expect to be dressed in red, white, and blue with an invincible <laughs> shield, leading the Avengers. Guys, <laughs> really? holy cow! The uh, Lord really watched out for you, and you have done some incredible things. Well, thank you, man. That's awesome. I, you know, honestly, um, I work hard on being the best I can be every day that I'm blessed with. Um, especially moving forward from everything that's happened. But I guess if I was going to say in one word, you know, who I am, um, I'm a guy who's just lucky to be here by the grace of God, but I, I really mean that. You know, it's funny to me that I work so hard to try and be my best, but, you know, in those moments overseas when it really counted, it it wasn't, you know, me being so tight or strong or dialed in that saved my life. Um, it's just the grace of God. So I'm, I'm a guy who's here by the grace of God that's doing everything I stink and can to pay it forward as best I can with every day that I'm blessed with. Um, you know, moving moving forward, really. That's that's who that's my essence. Now, you know, if we go a few more levels up to my functions, you know, and my history. Um, yeah, I did four in the Corps, basic infantry. I was a O three fifty one anti tank assaultman. For those of you who are familiar with the Marine Corps Infantry uh, SMOSs or Military Occupational Skills. Um, so I was the guy with the C4. Uh, I was the guy with the uh, the satchel charge or the flamethrower, if you're looking at little green army men in your head right now. Oh, yeah. Um, I handled C4 and, and, and rockets, handheld rocket systems. And um, 
you know, by the grace of God, I, I made it through two deployments. And now that I'm here and I'm back, I do a lot of executive protection. I've been blessed to have a pretty good career with that, protecting people. I've been to over, I've been to over 50 countries doing that. And uh, I also do motivational speaking and life coaching um, as well. So that's who I am and what I do. Well, I I want to get into the into the details of what you do currently, but I I want to you know convey to the Iron Show audience when he says that he is here by the grace of God, he doesn't doesn't mean just you know he lucked out. He's literally here because of the grace of God and a still small still small voice speaking to him uh, when he was dealing with an IED in Iraq. Um, I was when I was listening to the uh, Canary Cry uh, show. You talked about how you almost triggered an IED that was had two saw blades that were there to complete the circuit. And if you just pressed down instead of picking one of those blades up. Uh, you and a good part of your squad would have been gone. Why don't you go ahead and retell that particular part of the story because it's really incredible. I think will really help set the stage here. Um, yeah, I was. Uh, we were. We were. Uh, my unit was sent in after a terrible night we had down there by the uh, by the Euphrates River. It was a mission called Pegasus Bridge. Um, we got sent in to augment and help out a unit that was in some trouble down there, and uh, we ran into some probably the worst resistance that we ran into the whole deployment. But long story short, I'm sitting in the back of my Humvee. We spent all morning picking up pieces of wreckage from the night, the fighting the night before before we got there, and um, I'm sitting in the back of. Uh, my sergeant's Humvee because he asked me, he's like, hey, Rogers, hop in my vehicle. I'm going to give you the plan. I'm going to let you know what we're going to do with this next, uh, at the next little part of the village we get to. Well, he's never, he never does that. I usually stay in my vehicle. I'm usually in an up armored, it's like an up armored semi truck. It's called a seven ton. And I'm usually the first vehicle in our convoy. Um, I'm in charge of the squad in the back there, anywhere from about nine to uh, 12 troops back there. Uh, we get out and we do all the groundwork for the for the convoy for the most part um and uh we're rolling and sergeant pulls me in his vehicle and um that usually never happens i think that was the grace of god as well and i'm sitting back there and it's just like my spidey senses are going crazy um and i <laughs> look at my sergeant and i'm like you know tonto sergeant navarro i'm not you know me i'm not a you know i'm not a soft guy um I was like, but honestly, I just, I don't feel good in this vehicle. Can I go back to my vehicle? Because I'm just feeling like something really, really bad is about to happen. Um, and sure enough, he's like, yeah, 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 Rogers, wait till we get up to this next intersection and you can get back in your vehicle. Uh, Cress is driving the, the, the uh, Humvee that we're in. And as he's pulling up, he's pulling up behind my vehicle. My vehicle's in front of us, where I generally am, is in front of us. And... Um, He's getting scared. Everyone's getting scared. You can feel the intensity just starting to build, and he's starting to pull up really close to my vehicle. Well, starting, you know, Navarro is like, "Hey, man, back up! If they get hit, we're going to get hit by secondary projectiles, and it's going to increase the casualty rate of this IED that we're, we're going to hit an IED. So, like, back up! So when they get hit, it's just them, and we can deal with that." And uh, we were a second vehicle in the convoy, and sure enough, Crest is still scared. He gets closer to the vehicle. I smack him in the side of the head. I'm like, "Hey." back up we don't want to get blown up too and i remember watching the flames come out of the ground um into the bottom of my vehicle where i normally would have been sitting 
and I remember watching the, the, the armor, the double plated armor on the side of this big semi truck looking seven ton truck flap up. It was like wings. You like know, it the busted armor just, off at the bottom? No, you, it was, you saw the flames come out of the ground. Yeah. Like a, like a tube, like a tunnel of flames. And boom, the armor just like flapped up like big wings, you know. They but they the, disconnected at the bottom and then flapped up, but like yeah. blown off at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was almost like they just flexed. Oh. I don't even I can't even I don't remember exactly how it went exactly what happened, but I just remember seeing all that movement, and um, then all of a sudden the flames sucked back in the ground. It was like shoo, and it was really? just gone. And my dudes, you know, one of my guys comes flopping out, and. Oh. Um, you know, uh, another one of my guys, we open the car, the, the, the door and he kind of like just falls out and I got guys falling out. That's where I'm usually at. Those are my brothers. You know, those are the guys, the squad that I'm in charge of. Those are like my little brothers that I've been training that I've been with some of the guys I've been with the whole time, but I'm trying to shorten the story up for you. Nonetheless. No, you can tell as long as you want, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I guess long story short, I'm, I'm running towards this vehicle to try and get to these guys. Um, when you're running into a blast like that, you know the enemy, they bury secondary IEDs. So they'll detonate one IED in order to get all you guys to suck in to try and triage uh, the wounded. And then they'll detonate a second one and, you know, um, compound the, uh, the, the, the effect of their, you know, they'll compound their killing effect by taking out the second wave of triage as well. So that second one's real close to the first one somewhere. Exactly. In front exactly. or behind it or sort of on the side of it, just out of yeah. so it doesn't get hurt when the first one goes. Exactly. So, you know, you're running in there to get your boys and you know what you're doing, you know? And so, you know, I'm running in there to get my guys and, you know, guys are falling out of the vehicle and we're trying to get them out of the blast radius and we're trying to triage them. One of my buddies is um, laying there on the ground and we're sure he's dead. They check his pulse and we're, we're, uh, we're calling out his kill number. And it's a number that you carry so that they don't have to say your name over the net when you, you know, if you get, uh, if you go KIA. And so, you know, they're calling out, Tonto's calling out his name and calling out his kill number. And I'm staring at him and I just remember thinking to myself, like, man, I got to see the end of this guy's life. Like, his family's not here. This, this is just, just me and dirt and this is just crummy. And then all of a sudden, right as they're zipping his face up in the body bag, he blinks. Oh, cool. Yeah, He's alive. Man. <laughs> yeah. Man. So he, he they, they would what would have happened? He would have just gone off and he yeah, would have I mean, like died in the bag, right? Very possibly. I'm not sure. I mean, I know we would have put him in a bag and tossed him in the back of a semi truck and, and the back of a Humvee. I mean, unless he somehow woke up in there. That sounds uh, like a god thing you see in and blink. I mean, yeah, man. You know, I mean, like right at the last second, right? Just as they're zipping yeah. him. I genuinely think it was, you know, because I just was fixed on him. There's chaos going on all around me, guys running around around me. I'm sending guys in security. Um, you know, yeah, you know, Sergeant, you know, Sergeant Tonto, Sergeant Navarro's on the freaking mic and he's just sitting there screaming kill numbers and trying to get support and I'm just staring at my buddy and we're zipping him up and sure enough he blinks. So we rip him out of the body bag, um, and we just start trying to stimulate him, essentially just beating the crap out of him until we can get a bird there uh, to, to take him uh, to take him to the nearest hospital. Um, from there, 
you know, we set up in 360 degree security and I, and I tell all my guys, you know, look for secondary, um, initiation devices, look for secondary bombs. Uh, and they're running around and they're looking and, you know, they're laying down in the prone cause we have this area of operation, this AO that we're in is heavy, heavy sniper, um, AO. So, you know, you've got this little timer going in your head. If you can imagine trying to like live your life, you've got a four second timer in your head at all times saying like, I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. I'm up, he sees me, I'm down. That's what's going in your head because that's how long it takes a sniper to see you uh, and aim at you and then place some well-aimed shots into you. So you're always moving around. About every four seconds you're moving around. And I'm running around trying to keep my guys, um, you know, trying to keep my guys alive. Not that we're under attack, but just trying to make sure that we're aware of everything. And sure enough, I walk up to the blast, the big crater, and I see this, um, actually, I, I don't see anything yet. I walk up to the blast. I look around. I got 360 degrees security, and I get ready to take a knee. And as I get ready to take a knee, I something stops me. And this is when I'm like, I, I'm just, I feel this check in my spirit. And um, sure enough, man, like I, I hear this voice. It's like, look at your feet. And I look down at my feet, and there's a hacksaw, a set of hacksaw blades, Skinny little, you know, quarter inch, about a half inch thick, you know, about 11 inches long hacksaw blades with paper buffers in between them. And uh, these paper buffers are, are set up so that the two metal hacksaw blades don't touch. And once those metal hacksaw blades touch, it completes a circuit and the wires go into the ground. The only catch is this initiation device is sitting right next to the huge crater, the huge garbage can sized crater in the ground. So I'm thinking, you know, we're good. You know, this thing just, de- this thing just got detonated. And so I look at my buddies and I'm like, Hey, I'm like, Hey, you know, and everyone stops. This was one of, this was one of the creepiest moments in my entire life. Um, I'm sure to this day, this was a moment I could have died. And, uh, you know, I yell at all my buddies. I'm like, Hey, this is what, this is what this is what blew you guys up right here, and you know they turn and they look, and I don't even know how the other platoon heard me. There was another seven ton going by. They stopped, everyone stopped, and sure enough, man, I reach down and I'm about to push it because I think it's already expended and kind of play with it. And at the last instant, I hear that still small voice, and you know I believe it's the Holy Spirit that just said, "Don't push that, pick it up." And after that, I heard that it was almost like. Like for me, time stood still. Like if there were tumbleweeds, tumbleweeds when it went by, it was the eeriest <laughs> moment of my entire yeah. life. And that one decision, man. Okay, I'll pick it up and inspect it. And I, I, I'm putting my finger was my finger was an inch or two above this thing, and I was like, eh, let me just check it out real quick. Whoa, that's <laughs> oh man, that's too close. And we're talking two one five five anti tank shells. We're talking. Um, these things are designed to blow tanks up. You'd have found like wallet sized pieces of my body armor, 250 yards away. Um, it pink mist. I wouldn't even have been pink mist, dude. Pink <laughs> mist. You said pink mist. I wouldn't even yeah. have been pink mist. You wouldn't even have got to see pink mist, you know, it just vaporizes you instantly. Right. Yeah. Two tank shale. That's, that's over by a lot. That's like a, equal to like a lot of like hand grenades, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a ridiculous amount of hand grenades. So yeah, you know, like it's it's all the training, all the hours under the streetlights, all the you know practicing and working out and doing all this. It all came to almost you know it all just 
came down to listening to God's voice, I believe. And that voice, you know, that was one of a number of times when that voice has saved my life all the way back from since I was, you know, uh, uh, four years old at my dad's house in the ghetto of the Bahamas. And You should probably so, tell that story because yeah. th- it's important that people know how the Holy Spirit has just been with you since the beginning. Yeah. You know, you learned to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so really the first time I ever heard the Holy Spirit and, you know, I can say that there's probably, there's three, four times, three times distinctly that I've experienced God this way in my life. Um, and where it's been like, not an audible voice, but like a similitude, like a voice, (laughs) you know, it's been a voice, not of me, not my idea, um, (laughs) that, uh, came from outside of like, you know, inside or outside of me, but it wasn't me. And it directed me in a way that changed the trajectory trajectory of my life or that saved lives. And um, this was this was the first time it ever happened. And I was like four or five. I was living with my dad um, on a street called Carib Road. It's back in the back in the real Bahamas, not the tourist area of the Bahamas. Yeah, <laughs> like the reggae type places. Yeah, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. You know, you got roosters and tin, tin, tin roofs on things, and you got guys chasing each other around with machetes. You know, it's it that kind like, of party. It sort of looks like the, when you in the movies where they're at, where they're in like Rio in the in the ghetto in Rio, and they all sort of yeah, like mm-hmm. that. Whoa, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. stray dogs running around. You know, potholes. <laughs> if there's, you know, yeah, it's all. It's a whole different ball game, man. It's like actual, real, real ghetto kind of. It's kind of uh, cool. Though. It's kind of cool though to be there, huh? I mean, it's kind of a. Yeah, I mean, it, it depends. You yeah. Know, it depends when it's yeah. you know back then when it's all you know and you you know dangers around you, but you're so young, you're not really able to comprehend it. That's yeah. one thing. Like now, I'll go to some third some countries and I'll really appreciate being able to just like disappear. Um, yeah. out in the village areas as much as I can. I have a pretty big signature just because of um, my countenance, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to disappear. White boy in the Rio ghettos, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you stand out a little bit. But. Anyway, so like you're, so you're living in the Bahamas with your dad in that neighborhood. You're like four or five years old, and it's at night, right? I mean, it's yeah, man, it's dark. My dad is. Um, got a security company that's coming up they're arresting people um stopping crimes um over there in the bahamas he's, he's working on starting a swat team so he's interfering with things um i'm sitting on the couch just watching some tv it's getting late and little byron's just like you know what i'm just gonna chill out and uh, i'm gonna sleep in the living room and it seemed like a good idea at the time um, <laughs> yeah. right? How many have that line in it, right? Seemed like a good idea at the time, yeah, and it's fun to it, sleep in the living room when you're a little kid. I did that a lot. Heck yeah, man! You know, so camp out next to the TV and yeah, yeah, on the couch. It's awesome. I love that. So anyway, sorry. Yeah, no, no worries. Man. I'm sitting here and I and I got uh, I got my blankets, got everything ready. My sister's sleeping next to me. My big sister, and sure enough. I'm getting ready to go to sleep, and I and I remember um, that voice just like, I mean, just told me, go sleep in your dad's room. 
And when you're four or five, like when you're this age, everything's real. Like, you know, you play with your action figures. This is about as real as it gets. Oh, like, yeah. To you, everything's real. You oh, know? yeah. My Batman and Robin, I, yeah, they were, like, real. Those were the homies, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you get in a fight over this stuff. So yeah. I'm sitting here, and uh, sure enough, man, the Holy Spirit is like, go sleep in your dad's room. And I'm like, no. <laughs> you know it, it wasn't it wasn't like some touched by an angel episode you know yeah. where i was a good little kid and i was like yes holy spirit i shall go in old english you know king james was like i shall go with and sleep with my father you know now <laughs> you're like no i don't want to get up I'm yeah com- man I'm i was comfy Air conditioning. I was on top of the world, so I was. I was like, "No, nah, man, I'm, I want to sleep here with my dad." And um, and the Holy Spirit came back again and was like, "Go sleep in the room with your father." And I'm like, "No." And then by the third time, um, I tried to go to sleep, couldn't go to sleep. Tried to go to sleep, couldn't go to sleep. Tried to go to sleep, couldn't go to sleep. And then by the third time, you know, the voice comes back and is like, "Sleep in the room with your father." And I'm like, "Okay, you know what?" And I literally, I remember either saying or thinking this, I remember being like, you know what? If you're not going to let me go to sleep, I'm going to go sleep in the room with my dad. Fine. Yeah. Uh, if you um, leave me alone, I'll <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Like, right? This is important to me. I'm, you know, little Byron. So I, uh, I get up and I go in there with my dad and I close the door and I get ready to go to sleep and he wakes me up again and I'm just like, what? And he's like, go get your sister. And I'm like, and I remember, I remember saying this back verbatim. You're supposed to know everything. And if you know everything, you know I can't get my big sister. She's bigger than me and she's going to beat me up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know. Yeah, the wrath of the big sister. I didn't know that, but I had friends' big sisters who beat me up a lot. Yeah, so. right? Yeah. Maybe that's why I work out so much, you know, just yeah. sound like getting beat up by my big sister. I remember but. being scared. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually being scared of girls, not like scared of girls, like, you know, get mm-hmm. kissing and stuff, but like being scared of get, being beaten to death. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, man. So, yeah, I and I go out and I, I, I'm arguing again and I'm like, hey, you know, you're supposed to know everything. I, you know, I can't go get my sister. She's going to beat me up. And just gently, I remember the Holy Spirit saying, hey, uh, go out there and I'll tell you what to do. So I'm like, okay. So I go out there, and um, before I can say anything, I just hear, take her blankets. And I knew instantly, once I take her blankets, she's going to get cold because the air conditioning's piping out here, and then she's going to come in the room. So I grab her blankets, I run in the room. And uh, she comes in the room, smacks me in the back of the head, <laughs> takes all the blankets, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, and lays down, and I'm sitting here cold. Isn't that weird how she just decides to to lay down there instead of go back in the, you know, Going go, go back room. in the living room? Isn't that that's yeah. that's weird, huh? No, it's it's blessed. Yeah, man. I mean, I know, but you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Like, how'd she even know just to lay down? Yeah. Um. Why didn't she just go back to where she was enjoying herself? Yeah. You know. So, yeah, I never thought about that, actually. So yeah, I sit she here. must have heard something, too, or something. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, or just in her spirit, she just was like, I'm sleeping here, whatever. So I'm sitting here, and sure enough, I'm sitting up, and I'm like, Father, is there anything else? I want to go to sleep. And I'm sitting up, and I'm waiting now, because now I've submitted to this whole process, and I'm like, okay. And I'm waiting, and 
I don't even get a feeling like I'm going to hear something. It was just obvious. No more information for you. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to sleep. I get underneath a little part of the blanket that she isn't using and (laughs) (laughs) I go to sleep and I'm woken up again. And this time I'm pissed. Like, I'm looking around the room trying to figure out what's going on. I'm like listening. And I feel in my spirit, like, you're not going to, like, the Holy Spirit's done talking to me. It's, he's, he's done talking to me. So I'm looking around the room, and then I hear this, like, little scratchy noise, this scratchity-scratch-scratch, scratch, clickety-scratchity-click. And I'm like, you know, I'm looking around, and um, I also, I actually, before I went to bed, he told me to lock the door. So I locked our door with my dad and my sister in the room. And um, sure enough, man, like in real life, as I look around the room and I try to figure out what this noise is, I look, you know, I'm looking in the walls. I think there's a mouse trying to eat through the walls because, you know, that's what happens in those kind of neighborhoods. Oh, yeah. I've been, yeah, <laughs> I've been, there, man. <laughs> you know? been there, done that. I live right? in the trailer park, man. Oh, you know the deal, man. You know, <laughs> I know nothing about that, but yeah, it sounds like you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And so there's like some mouse rummaging through our, our walls or something or um, I look around, and before I realize it, I look right in front of me, and the the doorknob is just shaking in front of my face. And oh, um, boogeyman fear time, Dude. <laughs> you know. I'm sitting here, and this doorknob is shaking right in front of my face, and that's eye level for me at that time. Um, and I feel that fear try to seize me, and um, I remember just shattering it and breaking that fear off, and being like, "Dad, now my dad snores like." People say that, you know, oh, you're a bad snorer. You know, I've never in my life heard a human being. I've been around 200, 300 thousands of men at the same time in the Marine Corps. I have never in my life heard a man snore like how my dad snores. He's the just, ceiling fan vibrates when this man snores. He's just cranking it out. You know, really, really. And uh, he stopped snoring and they stopped picking the lock. Um. And it just goes silent. And I'm like upset now. I'm like, he's never going to believe me. I'm like, dad, someone's trying to break in. You stop snoring. They stop trying to pick the lock. Um, and he just says, okay, get my shotgun. I, I run under the crib, grab him his shotgun. He racks around. You hear a handful of people run through the living room, trip over the coffee table, slam the screen glass. The screen door slams behind uh, them as they exit. Now in the Bahamas, they break into your house, man. Okay. You're cleaned out. You're, they will clean. They will field strip your house like Daytona, like a like a racing pit. They'll clean your house, wow. house in under ten minutes. Like if they were there to steal something, they had full reign on the entire house. Um, but when we went out into the living room, nothing was missing. Nothing was broken. Oh, that means uh, they were after you. Yeah. So th- there's you know the the hypothesis is that they were there to you know murder my father for the work that he was doing. Um, he was and, making enemies there probably right off the bat, right? Exactly, in that quasi-law enforcement position. So, you know, we come out, he clears the house, and it's all good. But uh, that experience has always stuck with me because it was, just, it was just so like, I'm a kid on the couch watching TV. You know, like, my life could have ended that night. Could have ended. There's murders in that neighborhood all the time. My life could have ended that night. Like, I, I, I love, you know, I know God's given us choice and all these things. But at that point, 
to me and my life, I, I could always walk away from Christ, but I could, I knew that had happened to me. So I just thank God for his grace and giving me something like that to hold on to all these years. Um, because you know, that's, that's, I feel very fortunate for having situations like that, um, as mental reference points, uh, because it's really held me over a lot, a long time because it, I mean, yeah, I mean, how do you say that the only reason I was in that room at all with the door locked isn't because I thought I heard something. So I went in the room, I argued with this voice, (laughs) (laughs) the grace of God, right? His grace is sufficient. I argued. And then I finally submitted and, you know, 30, like, 45 minutes later, someone broke in. About a group of people broke in. That's like proof, too. They heard that, yeah. they probably heard that shotgun rack. Yeah, they were, Yeah, and they were done. They didn't have, they didn't want to get blown out back out the house. Exactly. And that positive, and that pattern of God giving you warnings did not go unnoticed by your fellow Marines, did it? Yeah, Absolutely. everybody knew you were the guy who heard the Holy Spirit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can put my buddies on here, you know, and they'll tell you, like, yeah, if Byron says he's got a feeling or something's going on, just listen to him. You know, that's that's what all my guys would tell you. And um, it gave me a it gave me an ability to be a light. You know, I was by no means perfect, um, but I just, for me. You know what I think really helped me minister in any way that I, I did while I was in there and that, that has been most effective is just, you know, being real, you know, um, guys that have bad experiences with Christianity or with faith. And I just be like, look, man, you know, all I know is this the Holy Spirit's been with me. Holy Spirit's with me. And um, he doesn't judge me. And I just treat him like he's my friend. And literally, God's made my path straight. I haven't always understood it. I've gone through a lot of pain. Um, but even that pain has been grace um, when I look at it in retrospect or even when I go through th- horrible things in life, there's been grace, you know, because we, we, we don't get, you know, we don't, I genuinely believe that he doesn't give us more than we can bear. The only problem is we don't know how much we can bear. <laughs> yeah, I know, Lord, you won't give me more than I can bear, but I wish you wouldn't trust me so much. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> yes, I wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't show me just how much I can take. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah that's the game. Well, and just, I mean, we're jumping around a little bit, but there's a particular point I want to sort of get into, and, and all this is sort of the prelude to it, but. Um, when you uh, sort of eased, when you came out of Iraq and you were no longer in, uh, you know, active service, mm-hmm. uh, you actually found that very difficult in a way that people might find surprising. Can you talk about that a little bit about the readjustment to civilian life and uh, the, right. the loss of focus? Yeah, um, you know, it is it is such an amazing. I mean, it is such an intricate. Uh, just dichotomy, the situation you find yourself in when on the one hand, and you know, one of the best illustrations of it, which is just so cliche is Rambo. I think it's Rambo one. He breaks it down. (laughs) When you take him out of the jungle, man, he's he's lost. I I actually have heard that uh, Vietnam veterans actually credited that movie with uh, the first one, the first blood with saving their marriages because it actually let them express what they were feeling inside to their spouses who didn't understand where they were coming from. I can dig it. Yeah. Yeah, He's at home in the jungle, but put him on, you know, put him in an office in America, like put him at 7-Eleven, you know. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about it. It's like, ah. Give him a job at 7-Eleven. <laughs> well, and it's nothing against those, the 7-Eleven dude, you know. But the no. thing is, when you're sitting here and you're doing such intense things, you feel like a Lamborghini that's trapped in a school zone for the rest of your life, being forced to drive 25 miles an hour forever now. Like Sammy uh, Hager, I can't drive 55. He's in a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> like, so it's this this interesting situation. You're in very many cases, and the Nam guys, I think, had it had it. it being a being an Iraq guy, I'm just gonna say, in my opinion, the Nam guys had it worse. Um, it's just such a mortifying war. If you're in the jungle, which is a creepy place to begin with, yeah. you can't see that's, how far in front of your yeah, in front of your face. That's the thing. It could, could like, be anywhere. Exactly. These guys were turning corners and just like running into each other and opening up. And then oh, you man. got you know the VC. They were like AK-47 ninjas, man. Like these guys. Mm-hmm. They knew what they were doing, and they were good at it. Yeah, you know? they were stealth, too. You know? I've actually <laughs> suspected for a while that's one of the reasons we sort of went after Iraq first after 9-11 was because Iraq is this big, flat country with two huge rivers that we can just sort of run <laughs> our boats up, and it would be, we thought, easy to take, suppress, and have a, and have a nice, you know, one television season victory over like we did the first time. <laughs> right, right. And then maybe we could go on and deal with Afghanistan, which was a much harder nut to crack. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so those guys are really trained fighters in Afghanistan. They're they're war hardened. Oh yeah, they've been pimping since pimping's been pimping, man. Like that's just how they get down. That's what they've been doing, you know. And pimping ain't easy, man. It, it ain't, man. So if you ain't been in the game, you know you got some catching up to do. Somebody so. got to do it, <laughs> right? Here we are. You know? Anyway, yeah. you, you you fought uh, some tours, several tours in Iraq, and you actually got uh, injured, and you eventually got turned loose in civilian life and uh as i heard your testimony you had had this you know when you came into boot camp of course they the whole thing is to get you to focus on the mission and the team and not on yourself and so forth and now and you've been focusing on the mission you've been doing the job you've been put to do and now all of a sudden you're sort of thrown out into the free civilian world you're released from all these uh responsibilities and, and the mission and so forth and tell us about how that feels to suddenly be free yeah, <laughs> and, I, yeah, and I'm no. deliberately being a little bit uh, flippant there. Right, yeah, no, but that's what it is. Uh, hello. The responsibility, the weight of freedom, mm. the actual weight of freedom is something that so few of us even you know, begin to comprehend when we're in the, under the safety net of the military. I mean, if we're talking about your hierarchy of needs and your pyramid, like if we're going to go you know, Carl Rogers on it or whichever one of those guys it is, you are in some ways self-actualized in the, in the military. You've got your trade. You're being validated through your culture. You're, you've got a roof over your head. You've got financial stability. You've got food, water, shelter taken care of. Um, if you take a look at that that pyramid, you're close to self-actualized. You get a little bit of rank, a little bit of experience. You're 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 feeling really good actually. Then you go on ahead and you get out because you're like you know the grass is always greener, and. Um, now you go from knowing that the guy on your left and right would fight and die and has proven it, okay, and has proven it, which is extremely rare. Um, that's an exclusive relationship to being out here where you never get to know ever again for the rest of your life that anyone would fight and die for you. Um, there are people that love you, yeah. uh, but, you know, 
they, you know, they nor you get to really know that the proof is in the pudding. So you never really get to experience again like that, that there's this level of reality that you get to when you're moving around in the realm of combat and life and death when it's so visceral and so sensual. It's so, you know, um, um, it's five sensical that you're experiencing. There's, there's a level of reality that you don't get anymore. And so Mm -hmm. what I genuinely believe happens and what happened to me was, dude, the atrophy of identity. I sit here and I look in the mirror and I know I'm a squad leader. I'm, you know, supposed to be running with, you know, 12 Marines calling shots. We cleared 20 some cities in one deployment. Um, people's lives were in my hands. I'm operating and managing thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. And then I'm out here in the civilian sector free, but dealing with the responsibility of freedom and the responsibility of freedom in my mind is so much like a mirror. It's you have this beautiful thing of freedom, but what have you done with it? What can you do with it? What are you doing with it? And what you do do with it and what you don't do with it is going to have a lot to do with maybe even if only on a subconscious level, um, what you know about yourself, what you know about your self-worth, what you know about your value. Um, and so I look at one of my brothers who you know, was out before me and I'm like, is it just like this forever? Like, do I feel empty inside forever now that we've done the things we've done? And, you know, we've been on this high. We've been these like samurai, you know, with our class and with honor and with all these things. And now we're out here like Ronin with no honor and no class and essentially no war. And, you know, like, what do we do? Where do I go? And, you know, there was a time when both times when I came back from combat, I was, you know, I slipped into drinking a fifth of vodka every single night. Because at nighttime, when it got dark, I'd get really angry. I didn't know why. So I was just like... A fifth so, of vodka in one night. That's hardcore, one man. Night, I couldn't man, do yeah. I used to drink like a pint of gin when I was like 21. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I was a man. But a fifth of vodka? Yeah, man. Warm, absolute vodka. You go get a fifth, and I would sit oh, there and work on myself. Warm. I gotta, yeah. Oh. And right out of the absolute thing... Dude. It was gnarly. And I... Uh, it worked for about a month, and then my body parts start hurting, my kidneys and liver start hurting, and I, and I at least had enough, you know, I had enough in me to just stop things. I've never been addictive type personality, yeah, but me neither. out here in the civilian sector, that was the thing. It was there's this big hole inside you. The atrophy of identity is taking place. I know I'm this this warrior, this squad leader, this samurai. This, you know, I have this class of individuals. On top of all this. While you know you're this person, but the reflection of you in civilian life does not represent you properly of who you know you are and what you think you deserve, um, at the same time, there's this whole aspect of you that no one can uh, comprehend. So the most important and the most near and dear to you, the pieces of you that you want to be able to express and experience connection with, um, the most you now can't express and can't experience connection with um, with anybody who's readily available to you in your like organic environment. You know, it feels it's lonely, huh? Extremely lonely. You're surrounded by people, but you're constantly alone. Yeah. The wavelength you're on is different. You're in a mall. Your thoughts, the vibration you're on, where you're at in your head, what you, what's going on in your physiology is completely different than every other single person around you unless there's another combat vet. And you'll know because he'll have his back up against a wall somewhere and you'll both make eye contact because you're hard targeting and you'll actually probably assess each other. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you know? cool. That's cool. You know, have you mean that's happened to you several oh, times? Yeah, yeah. All the time. You'll, you'll be, you know, real recognize real. So. You know, you're looking at hands and he's looking at hands and you're like, why are you looking at my hands? And then you're like, okay, 
that's that's what's up. Is probably a veteran, you know. Is there uh, a thing that you is there like a sign you can give him to show that you know? It's funny you ask that, and this this is one thing I've found. There's no like hand and arm signal. There's definitely body language, and there's positioning because there's hard points in every room. You know, there's the guy with his back not ever to the wall. There's there's the way you walk in a room. There's body language, and we're pulling all this data from our environment all the time um in order to hard target but there is you ever heard of the thousand yard stare yeah yeah no yeah. <laughs> this thousand yard stare is real man i'm telling you it's real i've had friends that came back from the front lines with it so i know what you're referring okay. to yeah. it's like they're looking right through you past you to the just to, to a level of reality that you just probably weren't there with them for and wow, you just you know cutting squares in right now, you know. Do you like nod uh, your head see, like, or numbers over my head and over everything else as they're just sort of going as they're just sort of looking around the room, not really looking at everything, but just sort of taking it all in, assessing mm-hmm. it, uh, everything. It, it, yeah, I can relate to that because I'm a longshoreman, and okay, you know about longshoremen's? No, I don't know anything about it. Oh, uh, we love we're this is the most dangerous job in the world, so really, yeah. You get okay. out there on the – we load ships. We're the guys that yeah. climb on the big container ships mm-hmm. and load it you know, under the cranes where they put the containers on. You probably, uh, at the end of every action movie, you're there on the waterfront. <laughs> the, yes, you are. The yeah. longshoremen <laughs> are there. You know? Yeah. Oh, oh uh, um, yeah. Um, uh, War of the Worlds. Um, he was a longshoreman. Uh, I can't say his name. Why can't I say my name memory has gone? But uh, yeah, oh when you're on, I the, never had a name memory for what's worth, Johnny. It's the yeah. gangway. The gangway is that giant ladder thing that goes up to the ship. And as uh-huh. soon there's a saying: as soon as you put one foot on the gangway, your life is in danger. Yeah, and wow. The, everything up there wants to kill you. Really? Yeah, that, that's, that's wild. Man. We have this code where you cannot take your eyes off your partner. You are not allowed to take your eyes off your partner, mm-hmm. and because he can't see what's behind him, what's coming in to kill him. And really? you, you can, yeah. We've had problems with like women longshoremen, and you know you're right. staring at them all night. They have problem with that, but they go if they bitch, they're in big trouble. Yeah, it's, it's like yeah, we have all these codes and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. the first thing you do is you find, when you get on the ship, you find an old timer and you ask him to tell you something. Heck yeah, heck yeah, dude. I mean, anything having to do with that's that where you're that close to the line of life and death. Yeah, I think that the values are going to be very similar. Yeah, uh, because it's just that serious now. And I've yeah. like I've been really close to death, like on sniff amphetamine. Well, see, here's the here's the part, and this is where I want to get into the into the core of your ministry here, Um, because I will not claim that I've been in that period of prolonged danger. I never have been. um, Praise the Lord, Um, and therefore I cannot claim that I've experienced the same degree of that sort of alienation that that being in one world and so intensely in it and then taken out but i can sort of understand the kind um you know lots of the iron show audience know i was the associate rabbi of a uh, uh, messianic synagogue out here in atlanta and through a variety of things i won't really get into um you know i started clashing with other leadership and with the head rabbi and there came a parting of the ways now i spent like 10 years building up that synagogue and working on it and, and everything else. So that became sort of my whole identity. Yeah. And over the last uh, year and a half, two years now, uh, since everything went down, 
I've actually experienced a bit of that sort of dissociation of, okay, I had this whole identity built up and now I'm free and I'm not into, and I've struggled with what do I do with that? So when you were talking about, you know, the, the struggles you went through, uh, being part of the, what would you call it? The first Absolutely. civilian infantry. <laughs> Oh, the 1st like, Civilian Division, yeah. <laughs> first Civilian Division, yeah. It's like, you know, even without the military experience, it's like, I was listening to them, like, that clicks with me. And mm. my, I, I really feel like there are a lot of Christians out there, and probably a lot of Messianics and Hebrew Roots types out there that uh, can connect with that because at some point they've been involved with a group, which was like their whole world. And then through whatever circumstances that relationship's been severed, now they're like, you know, free, but they're not sure what to do with it. And I think that because you've experienced that so intensely in a way that you only can in a, in a military uh, background, I, I think that you can speak to that to a very great extent. Um, so, you know, talk to, if you don't mind, you know, opening up there, again, you've did this on Canary Cry Radio, but talk, you know, if you don't mind like laying out, you know, more about where the troubles were and how the Lord brought you back through them. I I really think there are a lot of people in this audience that can really connect to that. Yeah, I know. I could be in a longshoreman. I was totally relating to you because longshoreman, we're like, it's not as tense as war, but I mean, when you see another longshoreman, you know. He's a longshoreman, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's how it is with the Marines. It's the same thing. There's that look in your eyes. Yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. But yeah. this it relates to various aspects of just the trajectory of a life. I mean, you think about anything that defines your identity right now, the most important thing that you do on a daily basis, who you believe you are is tied up into it. So when you find yourself at points like retirement, you find yourself uh, oh, like yeah. your kids are moving out of the house. You find yourself mm. in different spots in life. You lose a job. Um, you know, you, even some guys lose a car and they start to go through these things. But depending on what your life looks like, um, it's very important that you pay very close attention to where you're gathering the emotional nourishment that has specifically to do with who you believe you are, how valuable you believe you are, your identity. Um, Man, that's, your, what does that look like? And, uh, what Dude, does, I mean, when you said it, it's like uh-huh. I don't even, dude. I don't even get that. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, what does that look? What does that look like? <laughs> you know, well, because for me, you know, what I see all the time is guys that are in the Marine Corps, and you put so much mental energy, blood, sweat, tears. You, you gaining that Eagle Globe and Anchor is a big friggin' deal. It's probably one of the most valuable things you've ever done in your life. You put ten years into a, a job somewhere. The, the culture there, um, your your social standing there. All the things that are taking place, you're a longshoreman, man. You know what it is to deal with death, to walk the line, to, to, to set foot on that, uh, what is that, that gurneyway thing you're yeah, talking uh, about? Gangway to the container. That gangway, like gangway. You, you're owning that. You know yeah, we, that. We work and in so, gangs, like we're kind of like street <laughs> gangs. <laughs> right. So the, the danger is, yeah. because these things we do, um, we begin to create an identity out of them and we forget to find our identity in this is just going to sound cliche but it's the way in my opinion we got to find our identity in christ we've got to find our identity in what the bible says about us um and went so that when those things are taken out of our life which they inevitably inevitably get taken away from us oh yeah through the trajectory of our life it is going to happen just death will take everything away from you <laughs> yeah death will take it all away. <laughs> but as you progress and excel and evolve you know um as you lose these things or they go away for whatever reason, 
um, you don't lose yourself as well. Uh, and then it becomes very important to make sure that you're finding your identity in the right places. And the only rock that I know that'll never actually change or leave you or forsake you is in the word of God. It's with Christ. It's with Jesus. Jesus but, is faithful, huh? He is faithful. Yeah. He's the only thing, man. I'll tell you to the dad. He's the only thing I ever had, man. You can strap me buck naked right now. <laughs> the only thing I've ever had. Yeah, me too, Never dude. Totally. Like, yeah, you know? it's like, yeah, it's like, um, camp out on that. to him who comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Man, yeah. those words just echo through my soul constantly. Absolutely. And so moving forward in life, what I had to figure out, you know, the, the, the intellectual aspect of this is that. Um, I had to find my new fight. I had to find because I'm a warrior, so the the lens that I look at everything tends to be you know combat related. You know, I'm out here in the first civilian division. We got 22 veterans committing suicide every day. To me, that's war. It, Iraq wasn't even that tense. The atrophy of identities taking place. That's where you know who you are, who you used to be. You see that in the mirror, but your life is not reflecting that. What do you do? Um, you know, that's not just fluffy, you know, find her, you know, what, what do you do that's not fluffy? What you need to do is you need to find your new fight. You need to buckle down and figure out what you can apply the soft skills for us military guys, what I can apply the determination and the discipline, um, that I used to get there, what I can apply those soft skills to now in order to create something that's even more in alignment with who it is I truly am at my, at my core, what it is I truly believe that I want to create in life. The thing is, too, you probably don't really even know yourself as well. Like, you know, a guy goes in the military when he's 18. You're in a machine, man, and that thing takes you for a ride. Yeah. You, you yeah. pop out the other side four years later, and you have another chance to create something. You created that experience. By the grace of God, you made the decision yeah. and opened the door. You know? So now you're in an amazing spot in life as that chapter closes, whoever you are, to now create a whole nother situation, a whole nother set of circumstances, another life situation. But you can do it from a higher level of awareness. More, you have more experience now. Um, you have more skills now. You have more to bring to the table. You have more individual capital. You're more intelligent now, hopefully. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you got skills. You got skills. <laughs> right? I hope we're all more intelligent than we were when we were 18. Yeah, yeah you right? got skills so now, and experience. Exactly. You can create something that's much more appropriate and much more um, in alignment with what God sent you here to do. The beautiful thing about it is none of us really know what that is. So there's no pressure. The point is to just get out there and start to do. Do and as you, you do, and I mean, you, we just, you have to take it back to the Bible. You know, we go glory to glory faith by faith. Like everything's by faith. If you take that step of faith, then you see where you're supposed to be, and God will bless you. I believe in my life. What I've seen is God blesses me on the way. You know, I don't see Jesus walking up to anyone and just healing them. What I see is faith without works is dead. And so, as I ask God, "What do you want for me? Where do you want me to go?" As I go and as I do, He's always revealed His plan. Let it unfold to me, um, and never in a way that doesn't require faith. And uh, you know, He's always saying, "Pick up your mat, stretch out your hand." Jesus is always saying, you know, like, if you believe I can make you healed, do something. And um, faith without works is dead. And so that's, that's my, my challenge. That's my, my advice. You know, that's part of what I would say to you is if you're sitting there and you're feeling the weight of, of freedom, <laughs> if, you know, yeah. freedom, 
because light implies dark, day implies night, in my opinion. God created both of them. And so yeah. freedom, freedom implies responsibility. And um, yeah. both of them serve a purpose. And none of them are good or none of them are bad, I think. And they just are. Freedom know? is expensive. I mean, look at what you've went, went through. Heck yeah. You know, <laughs> living, in, living in a free country like America, there's a heavy price to pay for that. And you've paid it. And a well, lot I of you have paid it. You know, yeah, and, you know it, as I was uh, listening to your story, it struck me that you managed to hit a balance between, uh, on the one hand, you are properly skeptical now, having gotten some distance mm-hmm. of you know the propaganda machine. You you sort of recognize the the propaganda that went into your military training, and uh, how. And on the one hand, you. Uh, you know, quite rightly point out with Iraq keys that, you know, we're like, dude, you know, what are you doing? You're going to mess everything up, then leave. Yeah. But on the other hand, you've got the story about that one family that you were just convinced was, you know, all right. And what are we doing in that yeah. kind of it and turned out to be harboring bombs. So it, you seem mm-hmm. to have sort of seen the worst of both. Yeah. Um, and a, a, as I was listening to your story, it occurred to me, you probably more than 99% of the people in America can appreciate David. As a because here's David, you know, he's basically he goes up against Goliath as a teenager. He basically gets recruited in the Saul's army after that. He's sent out repeatedly to fight Israel's enemies. He eventually gets uprooted from that and actually ends up working as a mercenary for Israel's enemies, probably yeah. learned a bit of cynicism there and ultimately came back. And David was a figure who who was a warrior. And yet suffered that sense of being uprooted repeatedly, um, suffered that sense of cynicism against his patriotism repeatedly, um, and yet, you know, the Lord blessed him, the Lord was with him. Um, and, and I do think that for sort of this fringe Christian audience, some have a very cynical attitude towards soldiers out of that cynical attitude towards our government. And I think that you have the testimony that's sort of the cure to that. It's like, you know, it, you... Um, you recognize your training for what it was, mm-hmm. and yet you come out of the other side stronger for it, not not destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's I. I absolutely my turner. Yeah, so, go. Uh, yeah, you I, I own the framing, so you can keep going. <laughs> yeah, you own. The, I call him Rabbi Mike, but his real name is Grab My Mike. So. <laughs> Just jump on top of them. It's your only hope. Yeah, so feel free to interrupt me at any time. I, I can get started and forget that I've been going for two minutes. So yeah, you're a fighting man. Just grab him and slap him and start talking. <laughs> you of all people have the right. Anyway. Oh yeah. Um, but let's see. Where was I? No, I I I um I love David and I really genuinely I see what you're saying. Um, a lot of. It's interesting. It's it's an interesting situation where, you know, I get out and I wake up. Um, you know, I work with demolition, so, you know, if I see controlled debt, it stands out to me. Um, and uh, I find myself, you know, walking the line with a lot of patriots, but then also I have my own thoughts. The way I guess my life has been is, you know, God's always just been with me. has been all I've had. So... As my parents divorced, and I got one in Washington, I got one in the Bahamas. God bless them. They both did the best they could. They're awesome people. But for me, my reality was one parent's got you for a few months. The next parent's got you for for a few months. The only thing you've got with you all the time is the Lord. Um, Yeah. You go into the military. 
And dude, they're going to strip everything from you. They're going to crush your identity uh, of who you think you are. And the only thing you're going to have with you when you are, you know, in your whitey tidies, you know, in the <laughs> screaming at the top of your lungs, you know, in a big dog pile in the freaking rain room, you know, only thing you're going to have is God, you know, when you're out there by yourself on a deployment, man, is the most, the most miserable thing. These levels of misery that you never even imagined were possible when you haven't showered for two or three weeks. And, um, you, you've been just like taking over houses and eating what you can find and you got dysentery and freaking all this stuff. You um, feel like a homeless person? Sort dude, of? you're like, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be homeless, but yeah. I do know this. I know. You were homeless out there. <laughs> yeah, brother. We were, we were living out of our clothes, man. We, our clothes got so dirty. We could take them off and stand them up. If, if we got into a house where we were, still, <laughs> where we were on shell, we could take our clothes off and stand them up, and they would crust and dry into scarecrows. Dude. You know, oh, man. Dude. And, um, you know, the prickly heat? Any veteran on here? Know, prickly heat? Oh, God. Oh, I hate prickly that. Heat. Okay, yeah. Prickly heat is one of the worst things in the world. Um, in, in short, it's when the, 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 the salt crystals in your sweat crystallize inside your pores. And you get chills and it's like getting stabbed, you know, all up and down your back randomly. Um, I won't tell but, you how I, I won't tell you exactly how I no, experienced that one. Yeah, I won't, we won't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, let it be what it is. Yeah. Uh, but to get back on topic, no, David, one of my favorite, absolute favorite um, individuals in the Bible, the Psalms. Um, mm-hmm. I would listen to Proverbs and Psalms every morning as a child. Uh, and it held me over in Iraq, you know, and I, I had Psalms 91 on my bandana and, um, that stuff fed my soul and just David's intimacy with God, no matter what was going on is, uh, probably one of the most valuable, um, types of, I want to say relationships or anything, probably the most valuable thing I've ever tried to model in my entire life, because no matter what's been going on, that's been able to hold me together and see me through. Yeah, I don't really have that. I wish I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, you do in your own way, Johnny. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't put yourself down there at all. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I'm always saying I I love Jesus, but not very much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I need to work on that constantly. Johnny, there's hum- humility, and then there's just flat out lying to your audience. Okay, so <laughs> I don't know. You know, I feel like I don't have that love like I should. I don't know. Has that ever yeah. happened to you guys? Um, for me, I mean, if you're talking about like I just love you, Jesus, it's very interesting. I don't really have that to tell you yeah. the truth. Yeah, I, I would. I would. You know those Jesus is my boyfriend song, Joey? Yeah, here? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can't. I, I can't. I, I can't model. Creepy. I'm sorry, dude. I can't model that. I can't model that. I don't got. I don't work that way either, man. I do not work that way. Jesus either. is my boyfriend, the only one who cares. I want to sit behind him in math class and comb his pretty hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, What's that? <laughs> I love. I love the story you told about when you were five years old. And the reason I love it is because you are arguing with God. Now, I come from that Messianic Jewish perspective, and there is a long-standing Jewish tradition of arguing with God, going all the way back to Abraham. Oh, yeah. where he starts bargaining. It's like, yeah, it's cool. um, you wouldn't destroy the city if there were 50 
righteous yeah. people. God's like, nope, I, that's me. Well, you could be 45, and he works his way down from yeah. there, arguing with God until he gets down to 10, you know? <laughs> and so the the whole story you tell about that, it's something I've experienced in my life. Yeah. And so when you're, when you're telling that story about when you were five, I'm just like, that is real. Crazy, <laughs> you know? right? Yeah, I do that all <laughs> Not the time. Not even pretty, it's just real, right? Be- I Being bad because God keeps interrupting you and telling you to do stuff. I I, I appreciate that. I, I love the raw honesty you bring to the into uh, your spiritual life. There, too many people want to try to make it into this lovey dovey. Yeah. Oh, I'm just the Lord's servant, and you know that kind of thing, as if they have no will their own. And you're, but you're just like, no, I argued with them. <laughs> yeah, no, it ain't pretty. And I, I genuinely, I really, I'm glad you said that because that personally, for me, and this is something I've seen in a lot of churches. And I've been in hundreds, you know, a lot of my protection work was done inside the church. So I've seen hundreds of churches all over the world. And I've listened to thousands of sermons, you know, um, not to mention like just growing up, being forced to watch three televangelists every single day before going to private school and then going to literally going to church on what Wednesday, Thursday, three times on Sunday and Saturday night, you know, like I, I've, I've got a lot of exposure there, at least inside of Christianity and the, and, and the one thing that drives me out of my mind to this day after everything I've been through is the, like, pretty Christianity stuff. Oh. Dude, we're here. Dude. We're living life, you know? One thing, that the last thing that I think Jesus, that in my relationship that brought me to my knees is I was in my quiet time, and, you know, God took me back, or I started thinking about one of the two, you know? I'm not over-spiritual. I don't go in the dark, but... Um, I'm sitting here with God, and I'm like, you know, dude, you've been with me through all this, like, through my shenanigans after I got out, and, you know, I'm running around doing all kinds of crazy stuff, man, you know, trying to trying to find a way to match that, you know, dopamine release that I get when I'm out, you know, in the sand, but I'm trying to do it here in the civilian sector, doing everything, all kinds of things, and I think about all the filthy places that he's with me in, and I think about all the times he saved my life, and when I didn't deserve it, and, like, the reality of that is uh it is probably the last time I really, really like was like in awe of the way he's loved me, you know, and kept me. Um, because it ain't pretty. And anybody who acts like life is pretty and their, you know, relationship, whatever, I'm not judging them. Maybe it is, but from what I know of life, you know, this is some hard gritty stuff, but we got we have a hard gritty father luckily that we've been sent here with and um yeah, it's just it. the real I, deal man i just don't have patience for the fluffy stuff man yeah anymore. when i see those guys i have a i kind of have a uh, wicked desire to slap the piss out of them because <laughs> <laughs> there's no power in it that's the reason yeah. that it drives me nuts you're not like they're pretending and doing their holier than thou thing and they're not going to save anybody you're going to have a lot i feel like it's a pharisaical thing you're going to have a whole bunch of little baby christians looking at him being like wow you know, you glow in the dark and you don't even turn the lights on in your house because the Holy Spirit's all over you all the time. And he's trying to be like this dude who's so full of crap. And they're not going to make it. And it's going it, to, it, it, it literally multiplies wounds in the body of Christ, I believe, these, these people that act like this because it's an unreal thing. It's an unreal standard. Thank I think, you. and it is, and it'd be while I'm on my little soapbox here. And Please. that's one thing. Go ahead. Please. No, yeah. stay on your soapbox. Please, right. Please. <laughs> okay, good. And that's what's driven me nuts. Something I've seen in the churches, you know, signs and wonders and experiences. Although they're good and, you know, they're in the Bible, I don't presume to know everything about any of these things. But what I do know is 
I have seen in the body of Christ, these things become more important than the actual relationship. And like one thing that drives me nuts is I want to sit here in these some of these services I've been to and say, hey, you know, Christianity is about one thing and one thing only, in my opinion, and that's a relationship with Christ. And if all this crying and hooting and hollering and rolling around on the floor and like, you know, whatever is helping you with that, then good. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But if it's not, if it's over promising and under delivering, if it's uh, becoming something that validates your Christianity, and when I say that, I mean if you have uh, you know experiences, that's what validates your Christianity, and you're not willing to look at some of the other things in the Bible or anything that opposes what your experience says. Um, then you then you might be you know dealing with a slippery slope. Yeah, you need to I back up like, and look. Yeah, man, back up and look for yourself, and be strong enough to face what you find. You know, that's um, scary. Yeah. A friend of mine who was like an old line reform uh, pastor once said that you know theology, whatever you know, whatever we think of it, is only useful in so far as it draws us nearer to the person of Christ. And yeah. uh, me coming from sort of the Messianic Jewish side, where we've got some ritual and that kind of it, I, w- I would say the same thing. Ritual is useful for drawing us near. The problem is that too many people take you know highfalutin theology and highfalutin ritual, mm-hmm. uh, completely separate it from you know the uh, from the realities of life. And then if the realities right. of life don't conform to it, they'll like condemn people who have experienced something different. And um, and in the process, you sever the relationship. I, th- I think that the uh, power in your testimony is the ongoing relationship you have with God, even in times in your life where you're not super theological or anything like that. It, nevertheless, it's the relationship. It's the willingness to listen or even to beat on God's chest. Yeah. What about what yeah. about them face page Pharisee Hebrew roots guys? Don't you? Um, that's, I just want to slap the piss out of those guys <laughs> sitting there eating popcorn, their big fat bellies typing on their laptops. <laughs> oh man, thank God I haven't ran into them yet. I you haven't ran into those guys? I, no, oh, that's no, way I, I, worse than what you guys are talking about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what about the flat Earth guys? Don't you love those guys? I don't know anything. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I finally am starting to like realize I don't know anything about any of that, but I'm starting to realize oh. that I guess there's a whole argument going on. Dude, about it's like scary. I mean, can't believe people. Out or something. Yeah, they really believe it. There's like a lot of them, and they're usually like the Hebrew roots guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But, but I will point out I mean, that it, you know you've got your own perspectives on like 9/11 and so forth based out of your trading your experience and so forth. So right. it's not that you're unsympathetic to people who are skeptical of the uh, uh, of the mainline point of view. And, and I'm not a flat earther. I'm just, I'm just sort of saying yeah. that there, there's room here for people that go. You know what? I'm not sure I buy the official story. Heck yeah. Yeah, and you, yeah, you know, right. you're a truther too. I mean, like, tell us about when you when you saw the twin towers come down. <laughs> yeah, man. I think one of the gifts that I I really thank God that he he gave me that has been with me for a long time. Like I said, maybe it's because I spent a lot of my life okay, but on my own, so I was never afraid to like look at the hand that's feeding me and scrutinize it. Um, yeah. it wasn't something that was going to be there all the time. You know what I mean? And, it, and I always knew that that hand that was feeding me wasn't my source anyways. Um, so, uh, that ability to one s- scrutinize, you know, where the hand that's feeding me and two, like I'm a, I'm a realist, man. If, if it, 
is true. Like if if I believe that the flat earth thing is real, if I really looked into it, I wouldn't be afraid to sit here and be like, you know what, man? Maybe it's flat, man. Yeah. <laughs> Come what may, burn me at the stakes, but maybe it's flat, dog. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be afraid to do that, you know. And I I I, I don't know where I, I haven't looked into that or anything, but what I am saying is, yeah, man, after I remember, you know, I went in there and, um, you know, I'm joining. It's wartime. Twin Towers are getting blown up. Um, actually, that happened when I was a little bit younger, but then I joined and all that stuff. And then, yeah, you know, I learned demolition. That was my MOS, my military occupational skill to run around with the infantry and breach and blow stuff up. And to me, uh, based on my experience, which is extremely uh, you know, it's experience. So it's even if you live 100 years, it's situational and it's extremely um, limited. Oh, yes. But the experience, there's nothing more valuable than that. <laughs> but at the same time, it's experience, <laughs> right? Um, so I sit here and I learn demo and we try to learn how to blow things up. And from what I've seen, man, if God, you know, if the Twin Towers, <laughs> if a plane flew into the Twin Towers and the first one imploded perfectly, imploded on itself at free fall speed absolutely perfectly as a result of a random plane running into the side of it when it was designed to take two plane crashes at least um you know maybe god sent angels that day to make sure that the tower imploded perfectly so there would be very little collateral damage but then it happened twice dog yeah. You mean, tell me right now, it happened two different times, <laughs> no and, and then another building just randomly blew up, and then, a, and, you know, and then the other building, they, I mean, hell no, on. hell no, and, exactly, <laughs> like, now, now I blame you for, you know, I, mean, I, I get to a point where I'm like, you know, like, I love you, dog, but, you know, I'm looking at my boy, and I'm like, I love you, man, but, you know, I just can't go with you on that, I just can't believe that, and I understand, because there was a period of time when I... I, in terms of disagreement and disbelief or even like being wrong, yo, you got to remember there was a period of time before any of us knew any of this and we were all lost in darkness or ignorance or had a different opinion, you know? So I never, um, ever fault anyone for their opinion. You know what I actually fault people for? I fault them for not looking, learning, uh, for themselves or for, for not having their own truth. Yes. uh, Proverbs, a fool decides the matter before he's heard the case exactly and um so if you believe what you believe and you can back it up hey you got my respect right or wrong um but uh if you believe what you believe because you've been you it's obvious you've been brainwashed (laughs) and you'll believe it (laughs) that makes me mad (laughs) it drives me out of my mind because because you're afraid to think about the fact that like i was in a conversation the other day and someone was like, you know, the government wouldn't do that to us. And I'm like, why <laughs> not? Why you know? not? They do things <laughs> just because they can. Yeah. And I'm like, just because they just wouldn't? Because why? I'm like, because you don't want to face the fact that, you know, you got to think. Like little old Byron freaking Rogers here, four years in the military. I'm sitting in Iraq and we're a bunch of little 19-year-olds in the back of a Humvee, you know, smoking bad cigarettes and trying to survive to get back home. And we're trying to – we're sitting here like, this is stupid, man. And there's no stinking weapons of freaking mass destruction here. And uh, we're just basically creating a terrorist vacuum. That's what we're doing. Every time we leave, the terrorists come in. And the night we left uh, Haditha, 
every single uh, elected official that we tried to put in part in in in, uh, in position resigned, went away, and everything we tried to do was gone. We knew yeah. as 18, 19 year olds we were creating a terrorist vacuum. But yeah. the, my point is, we sit here and we're like, how could the government do this? They must be so stupid. And I'm looking at you know myself and everyone else who's thinking this, and I'm like. We're not smarter than these people who are getting briefed constantly about the situation, who have all this information being professionally vetted and given to them and synthesized and fed to them whilst they sip their tea and crumpets at the Capitol or wherever they want to be Air Force One. And, and we know more than them? No, no, my friend. If I understand your incentives and I understand your patterns, I understand your character, and I understand what you're going to try to do. And to me... Um, I think that it would be absolutely foolish to think that the powers that be that are doing things, they don't know exactly what they're doing. Because oh, yeah. me and you can see it, and we're not smarter than they are, or maybe we are, but I'm not going to I'm not gonna assume my enemy is stupider than I am ever. It's information. It's information <laughs> and intelligence. If you don't have it, you're going to have to assume that they know, they've got, they know things that you don't know. Absolutely. And then some, right? Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and my my stance on it is like only God is omnipotent. I mean, I think where some of the conspiracy theory gets a little bit wacky is where they start assuming that the New World Order, the Illuminati, whatever, can control absolutely everything, and everything is according to plan. But these right. people are very good at coming up with a B plan, and right. things that can look stupid if you don't know the objective. If you right. realize what the objective is, it's like, oh. Okay, yeah, maybe that didn't work out the way they would have liked, but they were good with rolling with the punch over there, you know. Or uh, maybe it worked out perfectly and you just don't get the plan. Yeah. I mean, like the war on terror, I mean, I could just – its I don't know. I'm guessing that if you want to have a war on terror, then you're going to have to create terrorists. Yep. <laughs> right? <laughs> it doesn't take hard to create. All you have to do is push the right people in the right direction. That's what I mean. Where – they uh, where they see you as the bad guy and suddenly and where you know Allah is obviously calling on them to you know kill themselves to take you out too and suddenly boom terrorists you know it, it, it is not that difficult to manipulate uh, people at a large level I, I think Isaac Asimov wrote a uh, tr- wrote a series of uh, sci-fi novels uh, the foundation started off as a trilogy um, where he hypothesized the idea of uh, what do you put it like psycho historicism, but the idea that if you take a large enough population of people, mm-hmm. um, it's pre- it's more predictable than an individual is. And so the idea was yeah. that this this super genius Harry Sheldon, you know, looked at all of history and looked at this vast galactic empire and realized what the next course of history would be, and you know, sort of set things up to influence in the right direction. And there's a certain truth to that. You know, large Numbers of people all working together can be predicted more easily than an individual. An individual can do stuff that surprises you. Mm-hmm. But you take a large enough mass of people and suddenly it's like, hmm, we're now playing a numbers game and we now look at the averages and so forth. Yeah, mob, so, mob mentality is a science. I know that from trading for it, foreign currency. Yeah. I mean that, that currency moves on mob mentality. You, need, you wow. get to learn it after a while. And yeah. mama t- mentality is weird in that it you is. can take people that you know normally would be like the nicest people in the world, but you put them yeah. in the right mob situation, and suddenly they are you know sociopathic murderers. Yeah. <laughs> and for me, sitting here, I had a conversation with a guy the other day. Grew me up. Grew me up. I felt like I grew up once he said this comment to me. It was a few years back, but he's like, "What are you doing in Iraq? What were you guys doing in Iraq?" I was like, 
I'm doing what I, I was like, I'm just doing my job, man. Yeah. You know, I'm just doing what I was told. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, that's exactly what the Nazis were doing. And I'm yeah. just like, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> I still get chills, chills thinking about it. And I've seen it firsthand. Yeah. I've seen the mob mentality. You know, I, I, at the end of that, you know, when I got blown up by, uh, when I got blown up by hit directly with that, uh, 62 pounds of explosives, you know, I felt the momentum of that mob mentality because me and my boys are sitting there staring at these guys and um, we just got hit and I, I'm looking at this, the only group of like six guys in a city that's totally cleaned out, a ghost town. We just get blown up and sure enough, I'm like, who speaks English? And these guys are wearing sweatsuits. So one thing about Iraq it's like when they're running around in their shepherd's clothing and their man's dresses and the hat, head garments and all this stuff, their burkas, you're good because they're chilling. You know, they're about to have some chai tea and they're having <laughs> a good day and it's all, you know, it's all zen. But um, when you see him rocking the, the Adidas sweat outfits. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> with, with tennis shoes on. Yeah. You know for sure. It's oh, about- they're wearing Nikes. Run. <laughs> yeah, for real, man. You're like, why you got Nikes on, man? Adidas, why you got tennis shoes on, man? What's up with tennis shoes? Then you want to like, then you got to pull them aside. And you got to shake them down. You know, yes, we profile in combat. So yeah, you have to. You freaking have to. You, I think everyone has. You have to. If you're a human being, you're not taking in the information, visual information around you accurately. You're wrong. Extinction yes. is the result of being wrong. Some of this political correctness is just going mad because I mean it's anti-profiling, and you have to profile as you walk out in the world every day. Every day, man. I judge, I don't condemn. I'm right. taking this information in, guys. And I'm the same way, even with the police stuff, you know, like, but just to finish this story, you know, we just got blown up. You know, me and my guys are looking at these dudes, and I felt everyone was like, you know, we could just, we could just whack these dudes, you know? And, <laughs> and there was some momentum there. By the grace of God, we all made the right decision, and, you know, those guys went off to jail to get out, you know? A day later, while they still had the freaking Sharpie numbers written on the back of their head and show us, uh, show us the money we gave them for getting arrested for a few minutes after almost killing me. But, you know, that mob <laughs> mentality can, can pick up a lot of steam in those high heated situations, man. But, you know, and on that, yeah. yeah well, that, I, guy, I that guy that told you that that's just what the Nazis did, that guy needs to be bitch slapped because America is not Nazi. I mean, we are the – now, I'm – okay, you, I'm really, very rare in the fringe Christian community because I – and I'm really rare among most people in America these I days because I think America is the great Christian nation who feeds uh-huh. the world and evangelizes the You're world. Holding <laughs> You're holding on. You're holding on. I good, man. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> yeah, hold on to it, brother. Have some faith, man. Have some faith. In Have me. some faith in America. And when yeah. you were over there, you there you might not understand what you were doing over there, but somebody know somebody knows more than we do, and it's oh, for yeah. our own good. So, <laughs> you know, thank you for your service, and I mean that yeah. from the bottom of my heart because I mean you're fighting for my freedom, and even if it doesn't look like it, that's what it is. I truly hey. believe that. No, I agree. And, and look, regardless of what might be going on in the background, the fact is that you went over there thinking you were fighting for freedom, willing to put your life on the line for that. Uh, you were ta- you talked about 
um, you know, when you encountered Iraqis who, you know, were like, what are you doing? You're going to mess everything up. The fact that you, in your mind, when you're over there putting your life in line, you are yeah. doing it for the sake of freedom. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. terrorists, yeah, that's, you know, these terrorists need to know if they really want to come over here and mess with us or even Hang mess out. with us, they're going to get their ass kicked. And we would love that. I mean, the veteran community, I know all the veterans out there right now. I know you guys are listening to this and you just, it's a wet dream, okay? You know, <laughs> what was that movie? It was like that, oh, I want, I, come on, Mad Max. Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it would be if these guys, I seen a meme that cracked me up. It was like, this is what it would look like if ISIS really came over here and tried to go force on force. I mean, absolutely. But, yeah. you know, I, I obviously, we don't want combat to happen any, at any, you know, we're not, we don't want combat to happen. But at the same no. time, if it's going to happen, you know, we're ready and we're, uh, we're ready to rock, man. We're, we do what we do. We're the sheepdogs. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're a nation that, that exists in an evil world with a lot of people that want to destroy us. Yeah, absolutely. That's the reality of it. It doesn't look like that in, you know, in your everyday life here in America. Blah, blah, blah. Go to job, go to your job, blah, blah, blah. Come home, watch yeah. videos all night. Well, yeah. by this way, America be, can, can be deeply flawed, but not be irredeemably, irredeemably evil. Right. Um, and I think that people yeah. sometimes take this thing, well, if we're not perfect, if there are you know, evil people among our politicians and our military-industrial complex and so forth, we must be the great Satan. It's like, well, no, it's, you've got a very complex interaction of a lot of people, including a lot of really good people in the military, like yeah. you know, Biden Rogers here, exactly. along with a lot of people with their own agenda. And it's not, it's not clear-cut as to you know, we're, we're good or evil. It can be steered either way. Depending on the circumstances, depending on who's in charge, and, and so forth. Am I completely off base on that? Well, I think America yeah. is on a righteous path. Mm. You don't think so? Well, I don't think we're on a righteous <laughs> path. I, I do. don't think we're as deep. I don't think we're as, as far gone as a lot of people take us to be. Yeah. I think we need yeah. a turnaround. I mean, generally but speaking, I, I don't think we're, we're evil on evil per se. Um, well, generally we speaking, need a turnaround. We definitely need people waking up. Yeah. Generally speaking, generally speaking, America's on a righteous path. I got in an argument with Dr. Future one night, <laughs> you know, Future Quick, because he was really bad-mouthing, you know, the military and America and everything. And I said, we got in this argument about America. I said, America is morally superior, technically superior, economically superior to every country in the world. We're the greatest nation on earth. We feed the whole world. We're the breadbasket of the world. We evangelize the whole world. And Dr. Future says, well, I said, we are, we are superior to every country in every way. And Dr. Future says, yeah, well, what about that? all that porno coming out of Hollywood? I go, well, th- even that, our porno, even our porno is vastly <laughs> superior. I love Johnny, man. <laughs> Dr. Future goes, uh, I guess you got a point there. We just started busting up laughing. And then I want to get into what his currently ministry is because I really want to like use the last half hour of the show to really focus on what he's currently doing. But yeah. Byron, I mean, you've heard Johnny and I sort of tossing our opinions around here. Where, where, what is your sort of overall perspective of uh, where the world is at, prophetically speaking, where America's at? Uh, and so forth. Uh, you know, it, you don't have to go into huge detail unless you really want to, but it just sort of give us your overview. Ooh, wee. That's a good, <laughs> good one, man. Um, uh, from the hip, man, I, 
do you believe that America is a light? Um, and, and I don't in any way, I mean, I love my brothers and my veterans and everything. Um, I think that God, God needs people everywhere. I got asked a question a while back and they're like, well, what would you say to someone uh, who was thinking about joining the military? I'd say, dude, there's one thing you got to think about if you're thinking about joining the military, whether God wants you there or not, pray about it, man. Like, because it's a great place where I learned, I learned values that are just, invaluable like discipline to determination self-control teamwork i learned how to give my life for something and that's what i do every day now um so in terms of like the military and all that stuff man you know everyone's path is different you know god used harlots in the bible everyone's path is different it's just whether or not god's with them um and and even if you've made mistakes god can still work with you wherever you are and and all things work together for the good but yeah jesus grandma was a harlot (laughs) <laughs> right, like you know, you know, things get sideways. Rahab, she was, yeah. she turned out one to be Jesus' harlot, grandma. One was an adulteress, one She's was a Moabite, yeah. one was bad. You know, you know sorry to interrupt you, but donkeys, man, like there's just all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah. Don't marginalize or limit or think that anything. I think we get into trouble when we judge things as good or bad because, um, you know, I don't really think that as human beings we really possess that type of wisdom to know. In so many cases, when it terms when it comes to looking at things and situations, how God is working, what he's doing, who he's using, and what really is good and what really is bad. You know, There are a lot of times in the Bible where things are, oh, this is good or not holy. This is holy. This is not holy. And Jesus is like, nah, man, it's all good. Boom. I'm dropping a miracle <laughs> up in it. What's up? Yeah. You know, put that in your pipe. But yeah. anyway, so now we're yeah. here, and I'm in 2016, and I'm looking at this whole situation in America. I, I know America's a light. At the same time, I, I genuinely feel that like this whole media machine, I feel like the mind control aspects of like, you know, what I hear people parroting back on a regular basis, um, I feel like it's a really big problem. Um, I feel like it's a big issue where, you know, I feel like two things. People are starting to wake up, I think, and realize what really drives the media and what really drives so much of our world and so much of our society. And to me, it's like one of the greatest deceptions. And that's the fact that this world no longer, you know, exists for humanity. God created this world for humanity, but, you know, Satan intercepted that. And here we are. And this world now exists for, for money. This world exists for corporations. Um, And that is, something that's used to enslave humanity. Your doctor does not work for you and your health and your well-being. Your doctor is part of the healthcare system and he's working for his paycheck and he's getting, you know, like there's a whole financial aspect and peace to everything within our world now. And I happen to work uh, in healthcare. You and I could have a really interesting conversation about that. As with the military, there is uh, there's more going on than just one plot, if you will. There's a mm-hmm. lot of overlapping stuff, but yes, uh, yeah. even the best of doctors have to deal with uh, the healthcare system as a whole. And there are a lot of people that are trying to figure out, okay, how do we uh, salvage that? How do, what do we do with it? How do we make sure that people get what they need, but you know, at a you know proper price point that you know everyone can bear and so forth. I mean, it, it yeah. is. Healthcare is one of those really difficult areas. I've spent the last ten years in it, and it is uh, the system can fail horribly, yeah, despite all everyone's best intentions. Yeah, a lot of yeah, times and, you don't get the, the care you need. 
because yeah. they want you to do something else because that's what fits into their little financial plan for the insurance. Well, and the push-pull of it, you know, it's not that the doc's a bad guy. He's just got to play the, the game and play the cards he's being dealt. And, you know, like it's – there's a – you know, like some things make sense for him to do. Some things don't make sense for him to do, you know, and, and there's limiting things there from what I've from what I've seen as I've peeked behind that veil. But, you know, the military complex and I sit here and I go to war and I come back and I'm like, we're giving you freedom, man. You know, yeah, freedom to get killed. I believe, yeah, I believe it, though. You got me. Killed, anyway, you, know, you don't got nobody else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to tell Iraqis this, you know, no, we're giving you freedom. And they're looking at me like, bro, you're destroying our country. We were better off. Dude, dudes look at me in my eyes with tears in their eyes. They would have shot me if they could. We were better off under Saddam. We were safe under Saddam. We would have had this under Saddam. That. At least you it was stable, right? Dude, we, I work in the recycling industry, and there's these huge, gigantic grinders with blades that will yeah. shred anything. I mean, you could put anything on it. And Saddam was putting hundreds of people through those shredders. I mean, yeah. come on. Well, what you start to realize when you're over there is the stability of the region. So, yeah, but wow. still, he was evil. And no, I'm not saying he wasn't evil, but I am saying this. Society, and even Gaddafi, these places were stable. And so now I, I fear the enemy I don't know. I love the enemy that I know. Saddam was an enemy that we knew and that we understood. Now we've got ISIS. Granted, I genuinely believe we could wipe ISIS out any time we want. Cool. Not, but that's a whole other conversation. Oh, I'd like to have that someday. Yeah, right. Now we've got ISIS that's hanging out over there and spreading like wildfire. You know, we created a terrorist vacuum. And for the average Iraqi family who's willing to do what Saddam wants them to do, without their women and children being taken and sold into sex slavery and without their men getting their heads chopped off, um, uh, it was a good deal. You know, even though he was. and, And the other thing is. You have to rule that region with an iron fist. But for yeah. me to get back onto um, yeah, sorry. the topic, uh, what, I've, what I see is, you know, America, I, I see some, some, in some ways that we're waking up, you know, I see the race baiting and it really bothers me a lot because I'm African-American and um, yeah. I see that, uh, you know, to touch on a, a little bit of a friction point, you know, I'm an open book, um, but I see, you know, my culture being played in this whole dynamic. Um, Helter skelter. Heck yeah, man! Being used for votes and um, being being just. I see, you know, certain political parties tapping in a reservoir of pain that exists within my culture and community and using it to leverage um, themselves up on the other political party in order to gain votes and creating a problem where they're really was a problem that was going away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up in the 70s, man. It's like all the black kids and white kids, we all hung out together and smoked dope and yeah. got, got real, you know? <laughs> I thought that was I thought that stuff was over. No, I did it was dude, it was. It was going away. Like I grew up, you know, I, I sit here and I, I I made a video about it the other day where I was popping off. So I was upset because one of my buddies not one of my buddies, but someone I love on Facebook who we have these great conversations. He's like, you know, Byron, you seem really kind of disconnected from the African-American struggle in America. And I was like, all right, dude, listen, man, you know, I, in some ways I am because I have chosen to be, um, in some ways, uh, because my experience growing up, um, as I was being profiled at a more, at a higher rate, you know, by law enforcement who, 
you know, I don't judge them because they're dealing with, how do I want to put this? So for me, since I'm, I, now I, now I'm into it. Now I got to break it down. So for me, as I look at what's, what's happened, at least in my life, um, I realized at a young age that it's extremely important to dress the way you want to be addressed. It's mm. extremely important. If you're hunting for trout, you should use power bait. Yeah. If you're hunting for you know whatever else, you should use this, and you need to be appropriate. Um, and if you're not, it's really your responsibility because you're the organism that's trying to uh, evolve and exist and, and be successful in that given environment. Um, it's your responsibility to, 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 to be effective. Um, and you know, where I had other people in my life that were like, I'm black and I'm going to be black and it's just going to be like that. Where I had to stop and be like, well, this isn't serving me. This isn't getting me what I want. You know, acting like I'm from the hood and doing all this stuff isn't getting me what I want. So I made a change when I was young. I said, you know what, I'm going to act in a way and I'm going to present myself in a way so that when I do deal with any type of conservative prejudice or overt racism, it's going to be the result of the other person's issues. Yeah. It's not going to be because of anything that I gave them. And in that way, you know, I can move through life and I can feel compassion for those people that actually do wrong me in this way because I know it's them trying to do what they think. You know? And if I sit down and talk to them, what do I learn? I learn that they have experienced things in life that fortify those um, judgments that they're making. They're trying to protect themselves. They've had bad experiences. Um, their childhood has taught them that black people are this way or that way, or they just watch the news too much, and the wrong black people make it on TV all too often. You know, as we look at the entertainment industry and all these other things. But um, yeah, so MTV I'll, will really turn you prejudiced if you're, <laughs> you know, you're right. <laughs> oh but, man, I remember we had some kids in youth group that were like, you know, all all about rap and that kind of bit. And yeah. so my best buddy and I, who was my ministry partner, um, we sat there and just sort of translated the lyrics for these kids, and they were yeah. utterly aghast at what the what was actually being said. <laughs> yeah, it's like, pretty yep. pretty <laughs> radical. I can identify though, like with being black because I'm white trash. So, like, <laughs> my man, <laughs> I love John. Ah, thanks, bro. I love you too, man. <laughs> but you know, like, I walk through, I get walked through a parking lot, and it's like I'm black guy because you know everybody's locking their doors, and oh, he's <laughs> he's gonna steal my go. car, and he's gonna rape me, and he's gonna so. make he me. He might sniff. have a gun. He's gonna yeah. make me he's sniff ma- methamphetamine. He's gonna make me like it. You know, and you're like, you know, I'm not going to hurt you. Just I'm like, here to calm. protect. Yeah. yeah. And when you're a bodyguard, you know, when I had to do, you know, I'm a bodyguard slash Marine. I'm like, you're safe because I'm here. Don't you understand? I'm wearing a suit. Like, you're good. Uh-huh. Um, and that was just the story of my life. It, it just, you know, it just is what it is, you know. But I know they're dealing with their cognitive processes and uh, God bless them. <laughs> Man, yeah. it's you're a highly I, advanced. My, you're a highly advanced Christian to be there. I'm trying to, you know. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Well, I had to find a way to relieve my own inner psychic friction. You know, when every time I live in Orange County, you know, I walk outside and like I'm one of one percent of one black guy out here. You know? <laughs> oh yeah, so they're like, oh, yeah, oh, the OC man. It's Dude, like uh, it's like, graphics when I'm walking around out here sometimes, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> it's know? funny. I'm over here on the east side of Atlanta in Gwinnett County. Now, when I went to high school, 
In my graduating class of 650 kids, there were two black kids. I happened to be friends with both of them. One I bonded with over Huckleberry Finn, of all things, and the other was a geek like me. But um, since then, you know, that being 22 years ago, Gwinnett County has become like the most diverse county in America. I've got the fifth largest Hindu temple in the world five miles from my house. Wow. I've got you know, I've got like three mosques on my way to work, and um, you know, and it's very much mixed up. And when I went to the uh, parent-teacher conference at my daughter's school last week, it was a very mixed group. And on the whole, I'm kind of happy with that. You know, I, I think that um, if you can get past surface-level stuff, uh, that a lot of these problems, you know, if you're just willing to talk to each other and not, you know, instant and nobody's instantly sweeping things under the rug as either right. racial grievance or racism or whatever, I, I think that a lot of these things can just be overcome by the fact that, hey, you know, you know, here we're a bunch of parents, we've got a bunch of kids, we all want our kids to succeed, so we're kind of united in this. Just you know, for example, there. Yeah. But um, exposure. How do you deal with somebody that's like you know? He's he's tar you know he's like profiling you and he's scared of you. Would you do you I mean how do you do, do you like go up and hug him and pat him on the head? You know? No, what I do I do I, what I what I try to do. My goal in life every single day, especially being a black guy, knowing what the media is doing to us, knowing what you know society, what's being projected and injected into society about us frequently, and that we're even like celebrating about ourselves and. And media and pop and all this stuff, um, you know. <laughs> I can't give you my dad's talk; it's a little too hardcore. But what I'm going to do is, uh, <laughs> you're on the Iron Show now, buddy. You know, uh, <laughs> you do anything you want. You know, I, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, so I sit here. Dude, we got cocaine and Mexican girls. What's <laughs> <laughs> up? So I sit here and what what I do is I aim to give them a positive experience, man. Mm -hmm. I, I aim as best I can to give them a positive experience. And I've had a lot of my friends, you know, over the years, they're like, Byron, you're the whitest black guy I've ever known. And I, and I <laughs> oh, sit cool, there and I'm man. like, listen, man, I'm like, there's a war going on. Yeah. <laughs> you guys said, go and take it anywhere I want to take it. I'm going to take it real quick. I'm going to take you up on that. So I'm sitting here. And, you know, I'm going to say it like my dad said it to me, you know, son, there's a war going on, you know, and it's in every race. And, you know, the Muslims and uh, the Muslims and the terrorists are doing it right now. It's in every race. And he's told me this since I was little. He's like, and the war going on in our culture is between <laughs> it's between black people and the, and the ninjas, man. It's between black people and the N-words. He's like, and what happens is every culture has these people at the bottom of their at, – in their society that makes the culture look bad. Yeah, and that's me. You have to do what you can <laughs> for the sake of everyone else who's wearing the same jerseys you are to bring that average up. And mm -hmm. so what I do everywhere I go is I try to give people a positive experience so that they can understand that there's a difference between a black man and the other thing. And yeah. that's our that's our role, man. And I say hi. Well. Do you like say hi to people when? Like, no, I just smile at them. Um, I'm polite. I open doors. Um, I I I treat them as respectful as I can, and I do it because of who I am and who I want to be, um, not because of uh, anything they're going to do in return. Because at first I was doing it because I wanted 
them to know that about me. And like, you know, I wave at someone, they don't wave back. It was hurting my feelings. Yes. Um, and they were still like being, you know, micro prejudice was happening. They were still being scared and stuff. But um, I just want to make sure that they don't have anything to hold on to that feeds that prejudice in their mind. I want to give them a positive experience to feed the other side. You want to show that you're blameless. You want to show that you're blameless. Yeah, and if they if they receive it, then they do. If not, between me and God, I did. I think I did my duty as a black man trying to bring the average up, as a veteran trying to bring the average up. We all we all belong to so many different culture groups that we represent, whether we realize it or not, on a daily basis. And um, I'm just trying to bring up the average, man. <laughs> I think well, it's Barbara, like you know what that's. I'm sorry, Johnny. Uh, that's a really good segue, and we're about 15 minutes from the end here. And I want to give you time to talk about your ministry, yeah, because it's really cool. I think it's really important. I think you know that it transcends military civilian lines as well as racial lines. And so I want to give you a chance to talk about it and, and really present it to everybody. Yeah, a few minutes ago when Rabbi Mike was talking, I accidentally hit the button on your video. Now I've got the bullet breaking through the glass. And then the, that thing's really going to hurt you if it hits you. Um, after, meaning after the military. That's where I'm at. At Byron Ro- ByronRogersMotivation.com. One more time. That's ByronRogersMotivation.com. Let me get you, give it to you three times. Burn it in your head. That's ByronRogersMotivation.com. Awesome. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. It's all there, man. Yeah, I know. So now, um, as we were talking about you know, PTSD and um, all the different things that have really ravaged that veteran segment of of our communities and of society, man, you know, I just had a moment where, you know, I got out and it was, I think it was Memorial Day and I was looking at Facebook and I was seeing all the guys that have died inside and outside of combat. And um, yeah, I just realized that we're, we're out here and the first civilian division is chewing us up. And guys are committing suicide. I lost more friends to suicide than I lost in combat already. Um, So for me, that meant, you know, I'm still a squad leader. So I got to do what I can for my guys out here. I saw us all 21 and perfect out there fighting in the sand where all we wanted to do was get back home. You know, right, wrong, indifferent, whatever. Just wanted to come back home. And now I see us all scattered um, all over the U.S. doing the best we can to survive. But but just getting picked off one by one and losing like we got ambushed. Um, so what I, what happened, you know, that motivated me to really start getting into life coaching. I got certified through Tony Robbins and Colin Madonna's training center. Um, as a strategic interventionist, I got into uh, motivational speaking um, and went and got a, um, you know, bachelor's degree in psychology, but really learning to uh, serve veterans and, and help them find purpose. You know, find meaning in life after the military. Find what I say. What I say is, is find your new fight. You've got to find your new fight after you get out because the atrophy of identity is real and it will chase you down and um, it'll kill you or you'll end up taking your own life in a lot of cases. Uh, so what I do now is, yeah, I do life coaching and motivational speaking, and I've spoken a few colleges out here in LA, and um, I've written a book called Finding Meaning After the Military. That's going to come out um this month and i'm extremely excited about that um and it's just about my struggle it's about what i've gone through what i've done and how 
I've helped myself, but then also it's prime. <clears throat> it's also designed for the individual to read and see, you know, like what, you know, take away what from my story can help them help themselves. And, and obviously I offer all a bunch of tools and services. I've created also the finding meaning after the military process, which you'll see on my website, which is free. You can go in there and watch the videos. And I've got a number of different like, um, questionnaires and, uh, forms you can download that'll kind of help you find your new fight and find your purpose in life after whatever you've been through or come from. Um, just questions that you don't think about, um, in terms of life. Like if you don't know your purpose in life, um, you know, it's, it's in my opinion, really hard to unlock fulfillment if you don't have a pre- present purpose. And if you're not moving towards something deliberately, um, you're kind of going through life unconsciously and it's hard to unlock fulfillment when you're not aiming for anything and hitting that. Um, and, and fulfillment, something that from my work, um, I've learned that you can unlock on a daily basis. And in fact, it's extremely important to unlock on a daily basis. Um, otherwise life, you know, won't come to life for you. So, that's what I'm doing now. And then also I've, I've done a lot of li- – I do a lot of life coaching for – also for you know civilians as well. But that's how I started out was just you know working with veterans and um, speaking to that because I have – I have a right to speak to that because that was my struggle too. You know, I always tell people <clears throat> no matter what you've gone through in life, and this is for anybody, <clears throat> no matter what's happened to you in life, um, for everything that you've survived, no matter how ugly it's been – you now have, that's your superpower, that's your right. You have a right to go back into those situations if you've made it out now and to speak to those troubles and to speak to those problems in other people. Anyone else experiencing those things, if you can think back to when you were in trouble, if you could have used someone speaking to you, guiding you, empowering you, and and offering some type of comfort in those situations, you're now the person who has that ability um, to do that for someone else. So if you're looking for purpose, um, you can usually find it uh, somewhere around the pain you've experienced in life, and um, that's that's one kind of little fun way that we, you know, that I that I work with guys and help really do what I call perceptual empowerment, which is to change your perspective in order to find the purpose within the pain of things that have gone on in your life, in order to help you unlock the potential that I believe is available to you in any and every situation that you know God's been gracious enough to allow you to walk through. So, you know, if yeah. you go to um, your website, uh, once again, that's uh, ByronRogersMotivation.com. ByronRogersMotivation.com. That's ByronRogers with a D, Motivation.com. You got that rod in there. And <laughs> we're going to leave. Yeah. We're going to leave. The, we're going to leave that one alone tonight. But uh, <laughs> don't put the don't just go R O G. That's not going to work. It's Rod, like Rod Stewart, Jers. That's Byron Rogers Motivation dot com. On the right, when you click on that meeting after the military, on the right, you've got a little form and it says request a free one on one consultation. First name, email, phone number, very simple, please contact me. Hit the button. (laughs) Right? Okay, so (laughs) so Byron, I'm gonna I'm requesting a free one on one consultation right now. Heck yeah, brother. you'll pop up here in my little email. No, 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 live on the Iron Show. I'm going to bypass I'm going to bypass your handy easy to fill out form that anybody could just go right to and just right, right. get a free one-on-one consultation because you said it's free. I'll pay you for it though. Good, if you man. <laughs> I'll flip you 20 bucks. No, uh, no, man. Yeah. Okay, so I'm like, you know, 
I like lost everything about when the economy fell, like um, in 2008. Um, I, my job, I was working. Uh, I got two jobs. I'm part time longshoreman, and I work full time in the dust factory. Um, I've been in recycling. I load uh, containers and trailers with bales with on a forklift, and I drive he- other heavy equipment too. But that that job went down to 20 hours a week. And um, there was no work on the waterfront, and I, I had savings. I wasn't stupid. I was able to float for almost a year, and then everything fell apart. The bank came after us, and they took a house away. And when the house uh, went away, my wife like went away too, and like my daughter went away, and like everything went away. And my family, my sister kicked me out of the family because I've got opinions about things. And so I'm here. I'm all alone in the tr- in a little trailer, in a 30-foot prowler travel trailer at the end of the world. And it's like my life. I call it the trailer park at the end of the world because my life is over. So <laughs> that was too much. You can't deal. That's too much for you to deal with, right? No, it's not. <laughs> so what do I do, man? I'm like incredibly lonely. I miss my dear wife. She's she uh, she's like frontier Fremont, you know, like uh, Grizzly Adams, um, you know, mountain person living alone, wants to live alone. It's like now she she loves me, but she just wants she's like a mountain man. So I'm all lonely here at the trailer park at the end of the world, and like, what do I do? What do I do next? I don't know what to do. Yeah, well, <laughs> I understand, man. That's intense. Um, what do you feel like you should do? What do you did you? Want? <laughs> oh, we lost you. Okay, there we go. Okay. okay, you're back. All right, sweet. What do you want, man? What I, is it that you want? I want to uh, rule a, a corporation or a company. Okay, that's awesome. Uh, but I'm what? poor. I don't have any money. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but what is it? Like what type of corporation? Anything. Anything any- from making widgets to growing weed. Uh-huh. Okay. You know, because I live in Oregon. I dig it, man. I dig it. Oregon's <laughs> one of the places. And so, you know, what, so what would it give you? Why, why do you want to... Why do you want this corporation? So that I can um, have power over my own life so that I'm not a corporate slave anymore. (laughs) Okay. Because I'm in slavery. I feel like a slave. They make me pee in a bottle. Mm -hmm. And what if, I mean, if there was something you could do in life, you know, what would that be? What would be the one thing that you would do um, if money was no object? You know, if you had the corporation, where would you go next? What would you do? I would be a philanthropist. And I would set up places where homeless people that actually wanted to get out of there could do it. Uh-huh. And um, I would definitely be out, be um, having barbecues for starving people. Definitely. Love- that would be a huge deal. I would love to hang up, just get this huge old barbecue, everything. Yeah. Uh, things I like that. I knew you were going there, Johnny. I had the Did I go too far with my – <laughs> Did I go too far with the goal? No, 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 no. no. I, 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 there was just, my, my favorite TV show ever, Millennium, had like the perfect quote to tie in with it, what you were saying. But go on ahead, go on ahead. <laughs> okay. So, like all fun and games, right? When you start talking about this barbecue, and when you start talking about um, how you would help people, uh, this is recorded, so you can tell your voice changed a little bit. There is just a more, 
it's like the kind of uh, the joking side of you, like slow down a little bit. Yeah. I personally think that you were talking about something that um, mattered to you. Yeah. Something that was magical, man. There was some magic here, bro. You yeah. know, um, that is where I would begin to really focus with you. And what I would really want to work on with you is finding a way to help that become a reality. Um, not so much with the financial piece being the focus, but, uh, with, you know, using the assets that you have, there are ways if you have a good idea to get funding, there are ways if you have a good enough idea. And if you're passionate enough about it, you'll be creative and you'll be diligent. The ultimate resource is not resources. The ultimate resource is resourcefulness. Okay. If you're motivated enough and you're excited enough about something, you'll learn what you need to learn. You'll do what you need to do and you'll create what it is you really want to create. You just have to be motivated, which you, which means you have to have a plan. You've got to know that that plan's doable. And then that plan's got to have what I was listening for in your voice in that moment, which is the emotional motivation. You've got to know that that plan's worth it. And if you have a plan and you know you can, you can complete that plan. And if that plan has emotive, the emotional motivation for you to know that it's worth it, you'll do it without even thinking about it. And that is where I would try and take the conversation. And that's where we would work. Because at that moment right there, when you start talking about what it is you really, you really would do, there was passion there. And that passion, I'd follow the purpose. And then um, that's how we'd create a new kind of situation for you. And that's what I would tell you in that meeting. I'd say, this is where I'd want to work with you. And this is, these are the things that I'd want to work on with you moving forward. Um, and I, I know that it's possible. There's discipline issues though that we'd have to pro- you'd have to probably go through. I'd have to go through like a boot camp, right? Well, well, that's the thing. This is a process, you know. This is a process, and don't you know that that's 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 where you know having the coach and having someone to keep you accountable and having someone to talk about you know. So why didn't you do the things that you promised yourself you would do or that you said you would do? Um, what's really going on there, you know? Is it that you genuinely don't believe, you know, that the plan's worth it? And you're going to be like, yeah, no, the plan's totally worth it. That'd be awesome. And then we arrive at a place 99% of the time, not saying this is you, we arrive at a place where it's like, no, really what's going on is probably, you know, you've got to re, you've got to reconfigure your psychology now. You remember the first time you got into a car and started to drive around and you were trying to focus on a million different things at once yeah. and you're having trouble doing that. You're like, how do, how does mom and dad make this look so, so easy? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. now you're driving and you're sending text messages and brushing your teeth, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 It's and automatic now. You know, that's because you've written the software for that in your mind and your subconscious has taken all that information. And, um, what happens so often in, in our lives is when we try to do new things, we don't realize it, but, our subconscious will it will um, try to keep us safe, and we don't know if we're enough, and we don't know if you know. Even though I want to be the top salesperson in my in my in my business, I get to work and I check emails because realistically, um, I don't want to experience rejection. You know, I want that position. I want to be number one, but I don't want to do what it takes because it's uncomfortable. So when you start to have those conversations and you do what you know therapy is, which is just bringing things into the light of your focal consciousness, focusing on it and realizing what it is and moving it around, you start to realize that, hey, you know, tomorrow when you know you're supposed to go and maybe research how you can set that up and get a government grant in order to fund your no- new nonprofit, 
um, you start to realize that you're on Facebook or you're playing Pokemon Go instead, you start to see that, hey, <laughs> you know, yeah. this is a protection strategy and um, um, I really need to be doing something different. It doesn't have to do with whether I'm good enough or I can or can't right now. It has more to do with just the fact that I need to rewire myself and I need to, I need to try and make different decisions to have a different situation. And we have those conversations and you know what I mean? Yeah, so like what do I do when I get up tomorrow morning? It depends on what you want, brother. You know, um, I would say let's sit down and let's let's dreamscape. Let's come up with what it is you want. Let's let's find the mountaintop you want to arrive at. And then, um, you know, let's go on ahead and come up with habits, daily habits that are going to help you get there. Because your life's made up of habits. You are where you are because of the sum total of the decisions you've made. You've heard it, but... If you want more, you've got to become more. And so what you're going to create in life is going to be just like everything you have now. It's going to be the result of, um, of who you are. You're a human being. Who you're being today is what you're living. Um, everybody is self-made, but only the successful people want to admit it. Uh, so what I'm looking at is what you're doing in your, 21, 20, 20, in your 24 hours a day. Oprah Winfrey's got 24 hours. Uh, you know... Oh, you know, like and a lot of cars to give away to our audience, right? <laughs> yeah, everyone. <laughs> Look everyone. under your seat, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bill Gates got twenty four hours. We all just got twenty four hours. Will Smith got twenty four hours. So you got to figure out what you got to do every single day. Now, when you do the thing that you know is getting you closer to your dream and goal, that's when the journey becomes starts to come alive. Because then you lay your head down at the end of the night and you're like. Man, you know what? I took one or two more steps closer to my goal and my dream. This is when fulfillment starts to become something that you experience on a consistent basis and your life really starts to come back to life in many ways. Um, you find purpose. And uh, that's, it's, that's a beautiful thing. You know what I got out of this conversation? The one that really hit me was that, I mean, I never even, this never even occurred to me before, but I mean, like, you're right. I mean, I can see you're right that everybody is a self-made man, but only the successful people want to admit it, right? Mm-hmm. The homeless guy, <laughs> the, the shopping cart guy that goes past mumbling to himself, he's yeah. a self-made man. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. made that. <laughs> yeah, by the grace of God, man. I think God literally seed, time, and harvest, man. I think he... You know, he has the law of this reality, seed time and harvest. We sow our seeds and we reap our harvest. And he stands back in a lot of ways and is like, all right, do your thing. You know, I gave you the tools. You do your thing. I'm with you. If you ask me, I'll help you. But he ain't rescuing you. I think we all know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Or or he will when it gets bad enough and you're begging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, think again. I I mean, I've had that happen. I've been rescued. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, I've been bailed out too. I've been bailed out too. I ain't gonna I, say that. I, I keep comparing Byron to David here, so we'll use that example. It's like you know, David. It, you know, the scripture points out all the times he inquired of the Lord to find out what he's supposed to do next. But there was a time where he didn't inquire, and he just sort of left Israel to escape Saul and went down to the land of the Philistines, yeah. and uh, he got captured by them. They all realized he was the guy who killed. Uh, Goliath, and so he had to basically pretend to be Play. completely out of his mind, <laughs> insane. Yeah, so he just go, hire me. I'm a mercenary. I'll do anything you say. 
and, and you know, it's like God still let him get away with that, but he had to like completely lose his dignity to get out of that. So, yeah, you know, yeah. God will still preserve us, but He's not necessarily going to save our dignity in the process. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> Samson, man. though, I, like Samson in the tent with the prostitute, God still saved his life right there. But I, there's still there's still a coming there's 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 checks and balances, man. Yeah. That's the thing, like. Samson did get he called upon the Holy Spirit, but he did give his life. Yep. Um, and I see God and life and I see everything. I, I see it as so fair and just. I see mercy. I see love, but yeah. I also see this beautiful fairness. I see every vulnerability that I have in my life in my secret places being attacked by life, every weakness I have being exploited until I find a way to fortify that weakness until I find a way to plug that hole until I find a way to be the person God can trust me with something in that, in that area. And until I do that, I don't move forward in that area or I stumble and I stumble until I become strong enough to stand. I, I see like, like a, like a, like a piece of ice falling towards the planet, you know, that ends up round by the time it gets here because the way that this life is going, you know, for me at least, um, the way that I'm being, worked on by the the troubles and trials in my life i feel like it's this process of perfection if if someone chooses to step into it that way you know every weakness i've ever had i've had to face every demon i've tried to run from you know i think it's so beautiful i think it's love in so many ways what about the ice falling on down on the planet and becoming round what where was that going yeah you're like where was that one yeah no when i look at like hail and i see it it's when I see, you know, round pieces of hail fall from the sky, um, I just think about how the trajectory of that, um, and I haven't really studied this out, but this is just like Byron Mind stuff. I feel like the trajectory of that, you know, process of hurtling towards the sky and um, kind of being perfected by falling, you know, or even the planet being round. Why is it perfectly round? You know, the path that it's on and all the elements that it's dealing with and everything's worked perfectly within, you know, the environment that our, even our planet is in, in the universe to cause it to be almost perfectly round. You know, I see like this love and care in that process, but I also see that we fight you know, that. We fight that though. We're not like yeah. the piece of ice. We're fighting that rounding, yeah. aren't we? We, we do at times, man, because we don't understand. We're sitting there trying to call things good and bad because they hurt or they have to do with pain or pleasure. And one of the things that I talk about is, man, like, submit to the process. Trust God. Know that your steps are ordered by him. You know, like, I've learned so much more from pain than I've ever learned from pleasure. And, um, you know, we do, man. We fight it because we don't, we don't know any better. It's like trying to rescue a drowning person, I think, for God sometimes. So we need to learn, yeah, so we need to learn to recognize the the rounding, right? And go with it. Don't try and escape these fiery trials, man. They're just here to perfect your faith, brother. You know, faithful. You know, there's an interesting metaphor there because it's like in Hebrew, the words for good and evil can mean moral good and evil. They can mean good stuff versus bad stuff, you know, pleasure Mm. versus disaster and so forth. There's very broad meanings there just because the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew vocabulary is uh, much narrower. And over time, over the last a couple of millennia, we've developed a whole vocabulary to differentiate the difference between moral good and moral evil and pleasure and pain because we recognize that pleasure can lead to moral good and pain 
or, or pleasure can lead to moral evil and pain can lead to moral good. And so, you know, in, in the same place in our own life, it's like I've got, you know, a four-year-old and a two-year-old in addition to a teenager and they don't quite get that idea yet that, you know, bad things can actually lead to good things. Yeah. But over time, uh, you know, you know, the fact that they have to endure punishment when I am displeased with their actions and so forth, uh, they gradually learn that, you know, getting everything I want isn't always a good thing. And I think that humanity as a whole kind of has to take that same journey. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. <laughs> you know, um, this has just been such an eye-opening session for me, and uh, if I if I've learned anything... I've learned one thing after seven years on the Iron Show that it's it's touching other people the same as it's touching me all over the world. You know, clear oh. down to New Zealand, Africa, Scotland, India, the jungles of India. They're listening to us. Uh, they're, the, the, the kids on the street in the shelters are listening to us right now in London. Yeah. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, you're big time now, baby. Yeah, you just... <laughs> I appreciate it. Awesome. But uh, yeah. I mean. I've got one thing I got to do is I got to ha- I got to show mercy on you. That's one thing I've been taught, and I'm going to let you get, go to bed, get back with your wife, and uh, <laughs> but we're gonna I'm going to drag you back, you know, yeah, as, because there I see this huge value in you. I mean, I need you yes. now. Yes. <laughs> 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 and if I can't get you back, I'll listen to anything, everything you've ever said. Wow. So, <laughs> it's been real. I'm gonna, I'm That's gonna awesome. let you. But you have any final parting thoughts to like a quarter million listeners, like right now, <laughs> at this very moment? If I, <laughs> I mean, if I could, if I was dying and I was gonna tell anybody anything, you know, I mean, I don't know anything except that um, I, I just hear trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and. He really will. He really stinking will. Like he's never left me nor forsaken me. Even when I've tried to judge the situation and thought that was it. When I look back in retrospect, um, he really has made my path straight. Um, and I would, I would tell you that and I would die a happy man. That's all I got for you, man. And I'll come back. We'll, we'll work it out, Johnny, you know, but that's oh, what yeah. I got. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is definitely, yeah. Yeah, we're going to have you back. And I know our listeners have just been dying to hear this session, and so have I. And, uh, yeah, we're going to get you back. So, But I'm going to have mercy on you right now and let you go. <laughs> we're not going to have no conversation after the show. I mean, you okay. can punch out anytime you want. I usually do that to Rabbi Mike. I just, dude, I'm going to hit the button on you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and Myron, uh, you know, it has been a pleasure. I absolutely loved again. We'll, we'll put the in the show notes the uh, link to the original interview in Canary Cry Radio because it's incredible. And I think everyone should hear it. But I, I, I want to uh, give you a chance next time to just like do like two hours just talking about. Oh. You know, taking what you learned in the field and from having to, uh, you know, have that transition in life and actually, you know, boil it, boil it down and, and get it out there for the audience because okay. the, the storytelling has been great. But you've got so much to share here and it's amazing to talk to you, sir. Wow. You guys are awesome. And I, I mean, I appreciate you guys have blessed me. You guys have really blessed me having me come on here. And what you're doing is awesome and the people you're reaching and I'm just honored to be able to be here with you guys. You know, I'm so honored by it. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, the honor so. is all the honor is all ours. You know, so yes, um, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, man. Okay. This like 
Sayonara, baby. I'm gonna. Oh, where's that? <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! I want to thank Byron Rogers for being with us for two hours and twelve minutes on the Iron Show tonight. I want to thank Doctor Future and Peter Goodgame for early inspiration. I want to thank Bruce Collins. The Iron Show is on the Fringe Radio Network at the behest of Bruce Collins. All right, I want to thank producer Rick for providing this network. FringeRadioNetwork.com. I'd also like to say that IronShow.com is back in action. Just go to ironshow.com. You can get anywhere. You can get anywhere. And, uh, yeah. So you can get anywhere you need to be. Iron Show Live. You can listen to the stream. You can listen to all our sessions going back seven years. All right. Hey, remember, till next time, Johnny loves you. I gotta get my guitar. work at all (laughs) i'm crammed in the studio i've got my guitar bumps against the monitors or anything it's like playing guitar in a pinch (laughs) that was that was that was not good oh well